0: Hey guys, this is Rich Bokini. This is the princess of pro wrestling, SoCal Val. Teddy Stigma, the world's worst role model. This is Holiday. This is Steve Young. E-F-F-Y-F-E. And you're listening to the only podcast that calls it Right
1: Down the Middle. The Whole Refin Show.
0: And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it Right Down the Middle. (laughs) The Whole Refin Show.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode sixty of the Whole Refin Show. It is the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. My name is Darren Beasley. My name is Perry Smith, and we are super excited to have you joining us today. We've got a bunch of hashtag Wrestle news and Wrestle views to throw your way. We got some stuff to break down, some information about uh, arrivals and departures, I think you called it last week. That's definitely what we're dealing with a little bit this week, as well as a lot of action as Impact returns to pay-per-view for only the second time in 2017. And uh, arrivals and departures, not just in terms of contracts, people are uh, going home, going home from the European tour. Gotta love those... uh, I love those behavioral issues, as it were. And so we're going to talk about Impact Wrestling and whatever you want to call it. And uh, these comings and these goings and who we might see on WWE television. And what we did see when all of a sudden they're playing hot potato with the belts. As we are only one week away and some change now from the Survivor Series and WWE and the NWA. All sorts of stopping grounds of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, were covered on ESPN's 30 for 30 special, which aired this week, to much critical acclaim. And I haven't heard a lot from the fans yet, but I don't know what there wasn't to love about this special. And also on today's show, we will be taking a look back at the Montreal screw job 20 years ago. Can you believe that? No. <laughs> Me neither. This enough said, as it were. When
0: we talk about things from like 97 or 98, 99, I always think like that's not far enough back, but now it is far enough back. 20 years? That's crazy. Well, think about it this way.
1: Think about it this way. 20 years before Montreal Screw Job is nineteen seventy seven. Why would you say that? So that is that's pretty insane. That's pretty bad. Yeah, so it's twenty years. Twenty years since the Montreal screw job. So I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to uh really pick apart that match. Right. If there's
0: anything that hasn't been picked apart, <laughs> it's the Montreal screw job. Now obviously we're gonna have our own take on it like everyone else has their own take on it. Um, I, I know some of our listeners who uh, are, are somewhat casual wrestling fans, if wrestling fans at all, um, so I, it, it'd be nice to actually do kind of a blow-by-blow blow, uh, of all the events, you know, more so after sure. uh, leading up into the Montreal Screwjob, or the rather the match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart itself, which became the Montreal Screwjob yeah
1: it's uh we're not gonna reinvent the wheel we haven't uncovered some information that's never been talked about but we really other than just using it as a as a point of reference we haven't actually broken down the Montreal screw job uh, on this program right so it will be nice to take twenty years uh, to look back through the lens of history at this momentous night a night where the careers of Brett the Hitman Hart and Shawn Michaels, and for that matter, Triple H, their careers change course forever. The complexion of the Monday Night Wars changes forever. And Vince McMahon and who he is as a character and what he means for the business on screen would drastically change all in one night.
0: Yes, so we also go into the uh, conspiracy theories involved as well. Like, because cause, cause that—that's how big of a of a of a a moment this is in wrestling. Like, it is a totally where were you when you know? Oh, it's situation. the JFK assassination. It, it is. Well, well, JFK, I, I more so compared to Shawn Michaels putting Genady through the barbershop window. Okay. okay. So, to, to me, to me, that is where were you when JFK was shot? Okay. Uh, so but, this is the nine eleven. This though might be the nine eleven. And again, we say things in this show that we probably shouldn't say. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to going into great detail about it. And, again, 20th anniversary of it happening. So, you know, now's a pretty good time to, to open it up. It's not just like, you know what, we should talk about that. Here's what we think. We oh, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: yeah, th- th- that's what this is. This is, it's a, it's a look back, and it's almost a celebration of a moment in time. Of a, a horrible moment right, in time.
0: Right, When Vince McMahon totally betrayed the trust of his employee, the boss, totally fucked over his employee. I, it could have only Send happened. <laughs> it could have only
1: happened in that era. It could have only happened under those circumstances. Right. I mean, oh man, I'm so excited to talk about Wrestling with Shadows and, and every bit of this mess.
0: Well, before we can talk about any of that stuff, we got to talk about some of those headlines.
1: Impact Wrestling returns to pay per view with Bound for Glory. They come to us live from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. As we, uh, I guess we've come to the understanding that Impact is now a Canadian wrestling company. They've up and left Orlando. They're in Canada. They don't have anything to do with the Jarretts or Dixie Carter or Vince Russo. They have left it all behind. Anthem, that fucking owl, takes uh, Impact Wrestling in its talons and
0: flies it to the great white north. Made a new nest up north. So good for them, I guess, to get away from Orlando. A lot of wrestling tends to end up in Orlando. You know, NXT, of course, based out of Atlanta, Performance Center, and all that stuff. Well, you know, Impact, they
1: really want to, uh, you know, keep their uh, finger on the pulse. So they leave right. Orlando. While they're trying to uh, to rebuild here. So, uh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense Anthem being a Canadian company. Uh, but here we are. We see the, uh, the Maple Leaf uh, insignia around behind all of the artwork and the advertising. All the marketing for Bound for Glory. And uh, that's definitely a Canadian thing. So, here we are. Welcome to Canada.
0: You know... Oh Canada! I'd say where's the mountain when you need him? <laughs> if, o- if only he were wrestling in his prime now. He'd oh be, man! He'd be TNA champion. That would be great. No, that would not be great.
1: And, and and what is their champion now? I think they're still calling the champion the Global Champion instead of the World Champion, but not because it's the Global Force. Wrestling Champion or Global Force Entertainment Champion. Right. I think they're calling the title, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I really believe they're calling the title the Impact Global Championship. Okay,
0: That's their main belt. That's their quote-unquote world title. I thought it would be called the Jeff Jarrett Go Fuck Himself title <laughs> um, by now. I, I do wonder what exactly went wrong with the whole Global Force Wrestling and, and uh, Anthem and all that. I mean, it it probably was just a, you know, a a butting of heads. People who ran a corporation were saying, we need to do this and this, you know, for money and budgets. And Jeff Jarrett's like, well, you don't know how the wrestling business works. You know how the wrestling business works. And, you know, they're both right. But, you know, when people can't agree on that kind of stuff. And he might have also said something like, I'm going to slap your nuts. I'm going to slap your nuts, he may have said. But, I mean, it's like WCW. Like, uh, they're trying to run WCW, and, uh, you know, Turner's people are just like, no, this, this, and this. They're like, no, 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 this, this, and this. And you don't understand the wrestling business. They're like, you don't understand business in general. And it just falls apart. ECW couldn't get their shit together when Paul Heyman tried to do all the business on his own. And, yeah. So it's 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 rough to, to have the two. You basically just want a wrestler who has billions of dollars to, to run your organization because they'll run it their way and they've got plenty of money. So it's fine. So it's, it's just, it's a weird situation. I feel bad for Jeff Jarrett. Obviously, he's having a lot of issues right now. Last I checked, he is still in rehab um, and hopefully getting better. But, I mean, as far as, like, his wrestling dates, I don't know if there's anything left for Jeff Jarrett besides wrestling indie shows, which, nothing wrong with that. But as far as, like, being competition, quote-unquote, you know, with the big leagues, like, that's, it's kind of, that's it. Right?
1: No, I think as far as being competition, this last attempt going back to the organization that he helped begin uh TNA or whatever you want to call it right. and uh his, you know the the often mentioned personal demons took their toll cost him this partnership i think you're right that uh, he's done it, it, that that part of his career has to be over but he's not an old man he can go wrestle on the indy circuit as a physically fit capable individual for several more years once his health is, you know, secured. He needs to take care of his substance abuse problems. But I, I think he's got, you know, uh gas left in the tank as far as a wrestler. Is he gonna be back on top of a major organization as a champion? No. Especially not uh if he's not the one
0: who's <laughs> let's say it helps if you run the organization you become the champion. Uh me personally, I never would have let Jeff Jarrett become champion of anything oh, um, this is
1: we we've really always disagreed on this. I'm a big Jeff Jarrett fan,
0: yeah, that's you're wrong about that
1: um but the thing i do i the thing I'm most curious about is is uh if there is uh, a full truth to the fact that Vince McMahon is footing the bill here and paying for jeff Jarrett's uh uh rehabilitation or whatever is going on. Is Vince going to look somehow for a return of the favor? Is Jeff Jarrett WWE bound in any capacity? I don't see what
0: Vince McMahon would want out of Jeff Jarrett.
1: I think he'd probably want to stick him down in Orlando, at the Performance
0: Center. Right. Sure, I'm, I'm sure he's got a couple things to show the kids down there. Like he's he's a good wrestler. You know, I, I just I never was on board with the character Jeff Jarrett.
1: Well, uh, right, and again, that's where we disagree. I was on board with almost every version of that character. I'm a huge fan of Jeff Jarrett, but, but,
0: uh, you know, the, it was the roadie singing the whole time. But, I do know.
1: Him. I do know. Okay. And uh, even though I keep, <laughs> I keep my copy of WWF the Music Volume One in my car at all times. Full Metal. And uh, exactly, Full Metal. That's the track I listen to the most often. It's a good song. It's a good song.
0: But it's not Jeff Jarrett singing. I don't care. And I always go, Jeff Jarrett song. And it's like, oh, but it's not Jeff Jarrett. That's that's so weird. No, it's the road dog, Jesse James. Who's had his own share of substance abuse issues over yeah. the years. He has. Which, as you mentioned recently on Twitter, he said, like, you know, he's so many years sober. I think five years? Not bad. Uh, Which is good for him, good for him.
1: Not bad, Brian They gave the
0: Road Dogg a job, but the Road Dogg said horrible things about WWE. Uh, So, who knows? But Uh, Vince
1: McMahon has to acknowledge, and and probably does, that Jeff Jarrett comes... uh, Jerry Jarrett, his father, was one of Vince McMahon's most trusted allies in wrestling. There was a time when Vince McMahon was looking down the barrel of federal charges of uh, distributing steroids and other drugs. looked like he was seriously going to prison, and from every account I've ever heard, the only person Vince McMahon felt completely comfortable with being the steward of the WWF at the time while he was possibly going to prison was Jerry Jarrett. Wow. So I mean, Vince McMahon knows what this family uh, has done, what they are able to do, and hell, he signed Jeff Jarrett to contracts over and over and over again. Yeah, he. I, I feel like he would give Jeff Jarrett a contract to go down to the Performance Center and train in a heartbeat. I mean, you look. I mean, I. I'll just look at some of the people that they've they've had down there training, and you and you think, oh, well, that's an odd choice, or that's an odd choice, Billy Gunn. You know, Bill Demott, Steve Carino these are all people that I respect. Bushwhacker Luke. <laughs> these are all people that I like their careers. I like who they were as wrestlers, and I think they have things to uh, to give back as a, as an instructor. But you might be surprised that the WWE has actually invested time and
0: money in these people. But they have right. A- anyone who's been there has knowledge to share in the very least. There you go. Jeff Jarrett is someone who ran an organization that was well-known enough, you know, that was on TV long enough. That, that's a big achievement. Of course. If you think about it, shit, TNA was almost on TV, or it has been on TV as long as WCW was on TV at this point. Oh, much longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's accurate. That's really weird to think about. Because TNA only really even existed or was even successful in the beginning was because it was all the WCW guys going, all right, over here, over here. Like, here's, here's a life raft <laughs> away from the burning Titanic that yeah. is... Uh, that is, well, the Titanic didn't burn; it crashed. But You get the idea. It was, it hit a, hit that's how bad it was. It was that. Bad. It was like a
1: burning Titanic,
0: right? So you know, it's sinking and it's on fire. A bunch of WWE guys got in that life raft, and Jeff Jarrett was like, "Hey, I know a lady that's got some money. Let's uh, let's do some more WWE wrestling, basically." And then and that's what it was. And hey, any any WWF WWE champion who leaves the company, they can come over to our company, and they'll become champion instantly. That was a really good business model for a long time. Um, oh, man. And
1: that's another conversation. So I don't want to get deep into it. But wow. Think about the people that have come through the doors at, at TNA over the years. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's almost everybody.
0: Right. No, and, and, you know, TNA having that, that's where like AJ Styles honed his skills, Samoa Joe, all kinds of people were involved in TNA for a very long time. Kurt Angle did a lot of great stuff in TNA. Um, Sting. Still had some, still had some get up and go left in them, but yep, um, we
1: got one last match of Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. That happened. Of all matches, we got to see that in TNA. But on this night in Ottawa, we have Impact carrying carrying that old bag, that old TNA bag, and uh, they're they're bound for glory, is what they are. They are they are bound for glory. Uh, the most notable things are the uh, retirement of Gail Kim, Gail Kim, who has uh, she's in the Impact Hall of Fame or the TNA Hall of Fame or
0: whatever you want to call she's it. Called the Hall of Fame at this point. Well, she's
1: she's in she's in
0: the TBA Hall of Fame. Right? Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, she also was a WWE Diva back in the Diva days. Gail Kim has had quite a professional wrestling career. On this night, we see Dave and Jake Christ make a huge impact. Pun whoa! pun definitely intended. And make a huge global force resonant. <laughs> no pun intended. They uh as the and, and the wrestling now is Ohio versus everything. Now they were known on the indie scene as Ohio is for killers. Uh a playoff, of course, of the state motto of Virginia. Virginia is for lovers. Ohio is for killers. Maybe that's a little too intense. Maybe. Maybe that's a little too intense for that fucking owl. But uh, Ohio versus everything is what they're calling themselves now. Little O, big V, little E. And they got Sammy Callahan in tow. So the Christ brothers with Sammy Callahan, Ohio versus everything, make uh, make uh, their, their presence known at Bound for Glory. And Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy Jacobs of Ring of Honor, Age of the Fall fame, and recent WWE infamy as he posed for a picture with the invading Bullet Club in the parking lot. And word has it now, of course, as the story developed, he did it on purpose. He was looking for a straw to break the camel's back. He was unhappy. They were unhappy that they, being the WWE, uh, it was a type of relationship that wasn't going to end, but wasn't a good one. So he did uh, what I guess what he knew it would take. Let me uh, let me make a major infraction here that sort of ends up with egg on Vince's face. Let
0: me take a picture of myself with a friend of mine, and I'll I'll lose my job uh, over it. I didn't say it was right. Okay, I said yeah, it was yeah. Vince McMahon's company. Right, and it was Vince.
1: Who does not like egg on his face? Even though I Isn't don't like it. eggs at all, I, I don't know. I don't know how that is. I don't know how that is egg on your face. But in the world, you know, in Vinnie Mac Land, that's exactly what it is.
0: And so he says, "Jimmy Jacobs, hit the curb, honey." Well, we 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 know that wrestlers have to be very careful about making appearances with other product. You know, we, we were at a, uh, a a independent show recently. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I and know exactly what you're talking about. There was someone
0: who wrestled for the independent show but was basically wearing like what a hoodie and right. like you could not see their face, totally incognito. Not speaking to anybody because they knew if one picture came out that there would be there would be hell to pay. So, I mean, it's, they're serious about it. Vince McMahon has fired people over ridiculous circumstances. Um, and you know, we hear more and more stories about Vince McMahon, and it, it's it's more and more absurd. But the more you hear, the more it's like I I totally understand that only because it's Vince McMahon. Um, anyway, only because, right. Only because it's Vince this McMahon. This would not
1: happen right. in
0: any other business in the world. It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna cite uh, Matt Cross when we had our when we talked to to Matt at our our live uh, our, our live show. And we talk about, I I think I asked him, like, what's the strangest, like, fan request ever? And Matt Cross said, he was like, well, I I feel like I have no answers because I'm going through a bunch of them. But it's like, no, 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 all of those are are very absurd and strange, but I'm so used to all these strange requests that it's very normal to me. Like, people asking for, like, ring-worn gear, ring-worn, like, underwear and stuff like that. And, you know, I found myself when... uh, you know,
1: we are we are we are the king of digressing. We are the the dual monarchs of uh, digressing, but that's fine. We're the the weekly digress. And uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I will say, you know, I never thought about it that way. I never thought about uh, what that meant or what that could mean. That the, the ring worn, you know, uh, especially the way that Matt Cross was putting it. Sweated in. Once he said underwear, yeah. my whole world, and forgive me if I'm being naive here, but uh, I thought better of myself uh, th- than than to, to be surprised by anything. And yet, while I guess maybe I had conceived of that before, mm-hmm. when it actually came out of his mouth, uh, it sort of turned... Turn my world upside down a little bit. And let me tell you why. When I first met Raven, who was my favorite wrestler, at WrestleCon the weekend of WrestleMania 27 in Atlanta, uh, he had uh, two pairs of ring worn knee pads and one pair of ring worn boots. Well, not only were they a pair of his wrestling boots that were clearly, they clearly had been worn. You could tell they weren't brand new boots. They were a pair of the black ones that had one black rubber sole and one white rubber sole. Ah, yes. Which was part of Raven's ECW uh, persona and a little bit of his WCW run when they would make mention of the fact, because Raven had the most overly developed character. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seemed even unnecessary to have elements like the following, which is. That one of his legs was shorter than the other. And that because of abuse that he endured as a child. Okay, that's brilliant. It adds to the tortured soul character that was Raven, right? All you had to do was look at the two souls and see one's black and one's white. They're the same size. Right. This guy does not have one leg shorter than the other. But it kind of gave that appearance because of having a white soul on one of the boots. As he's been my favorite wrestler for the last 21 years... And, uh, there I was standing in front of him, and that was a particularly neat little aspect of his character that I always treasured. Hell yeah, I wanted to buy those boots. Now, I don't remember what he was charging for them, and whatever it was, was probably too much. Probably in the thousands, I'd imagine. And whatever it was, I declined, yeah. uh, for one reason or another. If you had the money, though. I buy it, I probably would have. Okay, okay. But, like... I wouldn't. Th- I wouldn't have intended to do anything with these, or even imagine doing anything other than getting, like, you know, like a a big plexiglass thing, and like with a little pedestal, and set them up and go, Bleh, and set them in the
0: corner. It's <laughs> you know? like when you have them, what do you do with them? Right, you're, you're not going to wear them around town. Well, exactly. And but you know, they could go in sort
1: of an area of my house, like a trophy. You know, like a little pedestal. Put them under some glass and then, you know, shine here's, a light on them. Well, he, here, here's but the thing: what
0: are you gonna do with Matt Cross's underwear? Right. I was gonna say for your case with Raven, you know, pay him. We'll say we'll say two grand, right for for the the boots. God, who? Or too much. for like five hundred or maybe a thousand dollars, book him to come to your house and wrestle you, and you pin him for a, a title belt. You know, so I'd rather just do that. I'd rather just have footage of me beating Raven in a match and, wi- uh, and winning a WWE replica belt or something like I that. I would
1: never, I would never make Raven job to <laughs> you Would You would
0: book him to beat you? I would book him to beat me. I would
1: book him to drop toehold me onto a chair, bust me open hard way. Right,
0: right. Well, I mean, it, it, that, that kind of harkens back to something we haven't really discussed in the show, um, but we've... We've just dis- we've discussed it with people who've discussed it on their own podcasts, um, but we, we did we did uh, we we reached out to a few people you know long ago about doing an interview on the show, and they were like, okay, well I I charge a rate, and 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 <laughs> right. and, 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 and you and I were like. We don't. We don't make any money off this podcast. We can't afford to just pay wrestlers to be on the show. So it's kind of like you know, appreciate you. We understand it's a business. Yada yada yada. But no. But my thinking is like, why would I give you a hundred bucks when I can give you three hundred bucks and have you come to my house and I, I can just pin you in a match and when get <laughs> a title felt No, that's a that's a perfectly. It's becoming an
1: increasingly more valid argument. Right by the day. By the convention, by the year, we are moving into an era where everything
0: is for sale. Everything is for sale, including people's time. So that, that that's why I say, like, I mean, you can basically, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to every wrestler I can think of, and and try to get them to do our show, and they're gonna be like, I charge this amount, okay, 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 and then get all their wrestling rates and book, and one day have a lot, have a lump sum of money. And book them all for a show at my house. And beat them all in a gauntlet match.
1: Wow. And then then put
0: it out that you... These guys all lost to me. And I'm not even a wrestler. That's how... That's how good I am or how bad they are. Do they all take, like, personal bookings?
1: (laughs) They they, do. You're talking about it very confidently, like... Like, oh yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> this, I, I know that Raven will come to my house. First of all, first of all, there haven't been that many people that have hit it with that. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course. But I'm sure there are more people who are like, well, my time is very valuable. I have a, <laughs> I have a following of a thousand people on Twitter. So I'm going to need to get that $100 an hour fee. Um, for my, my, uh, my, my part, my time on your podcast. But like I said, for, for a wrestler, basically everything's for sale. I'm pretty sure Matt Cross never actually gave in and, and sold anyone his, uh, his, his, his used, we'll say, underwear or trunks. For, for Raymond, it's, it's memorabilia. It's a bit different because you saw the boots and you're like, oh, those boots. If, if I saw Matt Cross's underwear, I would be like, oh, those underwear from that he <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it'd just be like, oh, ew, that's gross. Um, Yeah, put those back in your duffel bag, Matt That's very different But I guess people have different expectations of people Vince McMahon has absurd expectations of his own people And which led to Jimmy Jacobs being firing But now he has a new home at TNA I don't know how I wrapped that back around to original point Good for you But I did And
1: good for you and good for Jimmy Jacobs He gets to take his shirt off again He gets to reapply his eyeliner And he gets to strut around in all his little, you know and all his little sexy
0: little guy uh, glory. Surprised he didn't show up in ROH and, and join the Bullet Club because it, it would have been a successful invasion if they snagged away a WWE employee. They really should immediately done that. came to ROH to work. Then it would have been a success.
1: Yeah, I uh, you know Jimmy Jacobs came out basically at Bound for Glory to talk shit to the commentators uh, Matthews and Borash. But uh, I don't know what he's after. I don't know what the role he's looking uh, looking for in Impact. It's being reported that he's going to have an on screen role in addition to being uh, a backstage writer, basically
0: fulfilling the same backstage role he did with WWE. Well, now he is an on screen person. You know what I mean? Because of this whole thing, and sure, it the internet him- the internet has made him a presence. Absolutely, a lot of people didn't know who he was until this whole this whole thing blew right. up. I had
1: I not had, you know, everything goes by, all, all roads lead back to Raven as far as Darren Beasley is concerned. Hey, here we go. If it were not for Age of the Fall, the faction that was headed up by Jimmy Jacobs in ROH years ago, being so similar, not not really, but it, it had a certain uh, Raven quality to it that immediately became attractive to me. If not for that faction. Uh, because Jimmy Jacobs existed before and after that. And no, he he never existed at all. But <laughs> if not for Age of the Fall, I definitely wouldn't know anything about him. If not for Age of the Fall, when they when WWE signed him a few years ago, it would have been like, yeah, okay, whatever, Jimmy Jacobs, whoever he is. But Age of the Fall was such a good angle, and it was so attractive to me as a lifelong fan of Raven. That uh, I bought I totally bought into it, and so I've been a supporter of Jimmy Jacobs ever since. And I will continue to be. I hope that whatever he does in Impact is successful for him, and uh, you know, it's something worth watching for impact viewers. You know what the nasty thing uh that's being said about impact viewers, though,
0: right? No. Oh, that they're Canadian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: Wow. (laughs) So it seems, so it is being reported. Not only are they not able to sell tickets to their events right now, not only are they not able to give away tickets to their events, they're actually padding the crowd. They are doing it in the worst way possible. They're losing even more money by paying... Uh, I guess essentially background actors, extras. they're paying people to be extras. They're playing they're paying them to, to play the part of fans on a television show that should have fans. People should be fighting each other to get in the door. paying top dollar. I mean this 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 is a decent wrestling
0: product. They have a lot of good names. Why can't they sell any damn tickets? Two things, okay? One, it's problematic to have an audience that doesn't know wrestling or understand wrestling in your audience. They're just going to cheer at everything. And they're not going to know. I think WWE had a similar problem oh. when they had all their shows in uh, in Orlando. Yeah, I mean Disney. that was a
1: that was a great thing in terms of uh, saving money.
0: They save a lot of money that had a fresh crowd like every hour. Um, but it was just theme park goers. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't know any better. Uh, also, if, if it's a long, if it's a long taping, like a three hour, four hour taping, that's a lot to sit through. Especially if you're not a wrestling fan, that's a lot to sit through. If you are a wrestling fan, um, two, uh, you know, paying paying uh, extras, basically background extras, uh, actors uh, to be your audience. That that's you know that's not unheard of. Uh, you know, being in Los Angeles for ten years. I myself have worked as a, as a, uh, I did a couple of gigs where I was audience. Um, like mostly like talk shows that no one's ever fucking heard. I think it was like a, I I did, I did like an, audit audience work for some like soap opera talk show. And I, I don't watch soap operas I don't know who anyone is <laughs> Rick Springfield was the guest though. Rick Springfield yeah, Exactly Jimmy Hart Rick Springfield was the guest That was the only thing That was like <laughs> It was funny because It was it was during the uh, uh, Rick
1: Springfield He was on, uh, his, he was on General, General Hospital, Hospital think, yeah. Right.
0: I've never seen soap operas before No no he was on General Hospital right, he, was, a, he was Luke And he no, This is the know. only soap opera podcast That calls it right down the <laughs> Yes. Well, I do remember this because we uh, Rick Spring or before Rick Springfield came out, it was the two hosts, a guy and a girl. I, I guess, I guess uh, Brad and Angelina had just gotten together. Sad. It was it's, uh, either your team Jennifer or team Angelina, and they were like, "Who, who, who do you guys say? Like, what, team, what teams are you guys on?" And people were like, and "Angelina," you know? and I went, "Brad." Yeah. <laughs> and they just kind of stared at me blankly. They uh, said, "Get out." They said, "Hey." <laughs> You're fired. No, 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 they they begged me to stay because no one wanted to watch that fucking show. Uh, but also, I I went to see American Gladiators uh, when it came back with Hulk Hogan, right? And what? Leia Ali is that her yeah, name? Yeah, Leia Ali. Um, which, by the way, was a nightmare. Um, that show, uh, sitting. I think where I was there for like <laughs> five hours and saw like two, like event, uh, like an event and a half happen. Because like they they are just so fucking slack ass, and poor Hulk Hogan looks so depressed walking around like waiting for waiting for his his turn. But then I like they made an announcement like four hours in. Okay, if you're with such and such background acting, you need to go ahead and leave now. So like I, I noticed that half the crowd was paid actors. The other half of the crowd was uh, was rehab rehab people, and then. <laughs> Uh, this is more than this is more than two halves, but basically the the entire what's the third half? the, the entire audience was paid actors, people from rehab, and junior ROTC people, and oh and, and like my the twenty God. people it, who were like ooh, man,
1: gladiators. Is this, is this like Christopher Guest movie? Yes,
0: basically. Um, so that was a nightmare. But anyway, so I, I've obviously I've seen shows I've that have had paid actors. I've worked on shows. Uh, that have had paid actors uh and it happens this is what you do you know when no one's ever heard of your products, and I guess because no one's ever heard of wrestling in canada um <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know what the deal is necessarily up there, but hopefully once the company kind of gets off of the shaky ground it's been on for oh i don't know years. At this point, they can kind of uh get a get a steady audience in there. So they'll they'll never have that that fresh audience they had at Orlando. And he, even then that was probably maybe a couple of theme park goers just kind oh, of. Oh f- yeah, no, c- that's exactly what the it was. they yeah. that it was WCW's captive Orlando audience all over. It's probably Bischoff's idea when Bischoff wasn't TNA for a while and said, You know what we did? We did this. Like, oh, that's fucking great. You know, everything's dirt cheap in Orlando. There's a reason why everything happens there now. Because it's fucking dirt cheap. So. Well, I tell
1: you what. Uh, bless their hearts. I definitely <laughs> wish them the best. They say they're bound for glory. I hope they are. I love professional wrestling. And I love uh, any, any type. If it's a good product, I'll watch it. I, I will always hate a six-sided ring. I will always hate it. Drop the six-sided ring. I will always hate it. But other oh than my that, God. I'm happy to watch Impact. It needs to be easier to watch. You know, please put it on Hulu. Please put it on Hulu. But if they don't, or until they do, I'm, I'm only going to see it every now and then. Nevertheless, wish them the best. Uh, love alternatives. Love alternative places for people to work. Because people need new places to work sometimes. Because they lose their jobs. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have more to report. More WWE firings. Last time we talked about the releases of Emma and Darren Young and Summer Rae. We said there would be more. There will be blood. And
0: there will be more releases. And there are. There are. These aren't as, as big of names, though. Um, you might recognize one of these names if you've been listening to our show for a long time. Sawyer Fulton! Wow. Say it!
1: Where are you, Sawyer? We
0: don't know anymore because he was let go. Sawyer Fulton, of course... He's at the house. Sawyer Fulton was a big part of sanity when it first broke onto uh, NXT television. Uh, I believe Sawyer Fulton got injured. It was kind of under the radar, but it made it look like he left the group... Um, when, when all of a sudden, uh, Eric Young came out with Sawyer Fulton's jacket and threw it on the ground and, uh, Killian Dane just kind of took Sawyer Fulton's place and that was it. No explanation. No explanation. So you assumed that Sawyer Fulton, uh, would just get well and he would come back and, and rejoin sanity, but they were like, mm, we're doing fine. So Sawyer Fulton worked a, f- uh, worked a few house shows. Yeah. As far as television, he never appeared again. Yeah. But he he came back and worked some house shows. We saw him uh, at a show in uh, Gainesville. We saw him
1: at multiple.
0: Yeah, house shows. Still uh, and basically still in his sanity getup, more like a, a toned down sanity getup. Yeah, but uh, we was kind of like, will they just let him rejoin or this, no?
1: See, this is a guy that has that had a lot of opportunities. Uh, he shouldn't. If he, he might not be. He may be a totally upstanding guy who took it on the chin. And if so, good for him. But uh, but also good for him, but he should. He should be proud of how long he was there uh, in developmental. How much faith and money was invested in him. How much we talked about him on this show. Uh, exactly. I mean, this guy was originally part of a stable, a much larger stable that included uh, Jason Jordan, Chad Gable, Angelo Dawkins, the Chad Gable stable, and they were all they were called Shoot Nation, mm-hmm. and they were this large group of basic like uh, amateur wrestlers, which basically uh, American Alpha was uh, sort of an evolved version of that. Every time a new gimmick came along for Sawyer Fulton, he'd be a part of it for a little while, and then either it would go the way of the dodo, or he would get kicked out, and the team would move on without him. And uh, anyway, fast forward to now, he is looking for a job. Maybe Impact will will bring him up to Canada, repackage him. He's got some size. Uh, he he works the crowd pretty well. A decent look. Uh, not my favorite. Not my favorite guy. But we do hate when we have to report that people have lost their jobs. Somebody needs to pick this guy
0: up with a quickness. I think they will. Again, we talked about the show many times where anyone from NXT gets fired. Um, is they still have that NXT on their resume. It looks pretty damn good. So at least, you know, promoters know that they've got the right training and what have you. So I I do think Slurry's going to show up somewhere pretty quick. But someone else who was let go by NXT uh, is someone that I don't think we've ever talked about on the show, but we've seen him at a lot of house shows. Not in a wrestling capacity. I don't think we ever saw him wrestle. Uh, Leo Gao.
1: Yeah, I've never seen him in anything except... The black polo shirt yeah. and some wind pants—the security outfit. Yeah, the security outfit. And even when I've seen him, like on WWE.com, he's sort of standing around in the performance center wearing that exact gear. And supposedly, he is highly entertaining.
0: Supposedly, he, he, he's like a kung fu panda. Right, there you go. Oh, I, I've also heard to, heard of you know, heard him referred to as like the the, the Chinese. Uh, the Chinese Kevin Owens. Okay. So I, I, I don't know if that means in terms of ringability I or if it means in, like, like, attitude.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, like, I heard, like, Asian Dusty Rhodes. Okay. I
0: mean, and that is huge. Compliment. Asian we know for sure because he is Asian. We do know that uh, Dusty much. Rhodes, maybe. Kevin Owens, maybe. We don't know. But, anyway, like, he, he was actually pretty big in social media. You see him with random, uh, you know, WWE personnel. Sasha Banks and him would joke a lot back and forth on... Social media, um, and I was always wondering, like, what am we gonna actually see this guy wrestle? Like, I'm excited to see this guy in, in the ring and, and see what he can do. But just they were like, Ugh. so huh, they they flew but they flew him into the United States to and, <laughs> to live down in Orlando and basically work security uh, for six months, and then they uh, cut him loose. But uh, he he probably got a lot of training in the Performance Center. I hope so. Took a lot um, of bumps in the performance center?
1: I I'd I'd like to know exactly what led to, to this dismissal. Oh man. Um they, they signed so many Chinese talents. I knew Great. at some point they would start sloughing them off. Surprised it was I just him. didn't think it was him. Yeah. I didn't
0: think it was gonna be him at all. Right. And and yeah, it's It's sad, obviously. I I, I need to... I'm sure we look up on YouTube some matches with him. I'd like to actually see him in action. But regardless, he's no longer with the company. Maybe another day. So... The WWE taketh away. But sometimes they giveth. And they giveth to a young rock star spud. Uh, Speaking of TNA. Slash Impact. Slash Global global Force. Slash Impact. He's actually from those neck of the woods. He's going to go all the way from Orlando to... Orlando, because that's where <laughs> <laughs> that's where NXT Performance Center is. So, uh, yeah, so Rockstar Spud is going to yeah. show up at WWE 205 Live. You got, you got a hot one coming at you.
1: Yeah, so he may not even do a stint at the PC. He may not see any NXT. He might be headed right for the 205. Ooh. Uh, Rockstar Spud, uh, he was part of uh, the TNA's British Boot Camp. That's how he sort of came on the American wrestling radar. He ended up in TNA. Uh, Rockstar Spud, I've seen him do a lot of different things. And uh, I know that he's got like uh, some online uh, sort of getting to know you, talking shit, type of podcast-like uh, things that he does. And and good for him. What I really know about Rockstar Spud is two things. That he he did a job to... To Maxwell yes. Hardy, <laughs> which is a low point. And to me, the high point of his career was, uh, God, was it, when was that? Was this last summer now? Uh, when he was basically playing like a number two or like a chauffeur or like manservant to uh, the new, and uh, the the second version of Aaron Rex. Yeah. When he was playing like a Liberace-type character.
0: A.K.A. Damian Sandow.
1: Right, A.K.A. Mizdow.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, when he went to uh, Impact, he went by Aaron Rex. And at first he came out and he was just, Aaron Rex, I'm a mean, mad man. And I am here for that weird-ass title that you have to fight in rounds and there's voting and what is it? I don't know what this is. Is this MMA or is this Karate. Uh, but after that, uh, okay, let's put some blush and some mascara, some rings and some feathers on him. Don't change his name. Don't really just, no, This mean mad man is now Liberace. And uh, I, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. I, I liked it. I loved it. I wanted some more of it. A lot of people were on board with this I, they,
0: they enjoyed it.
1: Er, what well, wasn't to enjoy that dude was, is a good was, he actor. He's TNA a good performer, gold dust,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Without being a ripoff,
0: right, right, right. It was it was an original. It was an unoriginal original idea,
1: sure. Basically. And Rockstar Spud was the icing on the cake in his in his teeny little leather like uh, cabbie outfit or whatever. I don't even know what that is. It was like double breasted uh, like military coat. And and his, like, bus driver hat or whatever. Darren
0: can't explain wardrobe, folks. You heard it here <laughs> on episode 60. I loved it.
1: And, of course, he has the, you know, like, the incredibly well-sculpted uh, beard. Uh, and, it, and He always has that. But it went so well with uh, the, the Aaron Rex character, that version of the Aaron Rex character. That's what I want out of Rockstar Spud. He's a teeny tiny guy. He's going to be smaller than almost anyone on 205 Live. Right. So I need lots of character from him. Personally, as a fan, that's what I want from him.
0: I, I'm thinking, you know, the, the British guys actually just showed up on um, 205 Live. The, the UK uh, tournament folks that were uh, kept on.
1: Yeah, including
0: the UK champion Pete Dunn. They're also waiting for their show. Um, I, I still think it's it's <laughs> it was like Running Man when when they show the actual footage of the winners of the uh, of the Running yeah! Man contest and it's their their yes! dead bodies in the locker room. I yes. thought like oh that that's exactly what happened to those guys. But oh no, my god! Apparently they're still alive and uh, they they are on Two Five Live. So th- they must listen to the podcast, Darren, because we said that the way you you help Two Five Live is basically. Bringing people who don't do what all of those guys already do so well. Bringing people with different skill sets—they just hit the two hundred five or under requirements. Exactly. And all of us, we we were saying that on this show, and all of a sudden Enzo shows up on right. the show. All, all the UK guys start showing up on the show. Rockstar Spud, God knows he can't do a four hundred fifty. Perfect. He's perfect for two hundred five live.
1: And now they're talking about bringing Hideo Itami up. Yeah. Which, first of all, that will be a life raft for him. Get him out of NXT. Yeah. That that ship has sailed and other maritime references that I'm going to keep making for some reason about Hideo Itami. Uh, yeah. It doesn't need to be in NXT anymore. Put him on 205 Live. He may do something there. He really might.
0: He might?
1: He might. Rockstar Spud, Hideo Itami, Enzo Amore, Pete Dunne, Fatal 4-Way. Yes, please. Uh, I can dig that. I was super into that. A different show altogether. A show WWE does not have creative control over. ESPN. And they're wonderful, wonderful, truly uh, innovative and creative documentary series 30 for 30 that began several years ago originally just began as 30 films and uh, after those original 30 aired they just decided uh indefinite amount going on forever this was way too huge of a success i i, I will say that uh 98 of these 30 for 30 specials are watchable and 85 <laughs> percent
0: what are the two percent that are not? That uh, you are not know, watchable? like
1: something about like seventies international soccer. What's wrong with like, that? I, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. Um, but though the
0: beautiful, Do we have to hear more about Michael Jordan at this point. <laughs> but he was in Space Jam. I get. Yeah, it. I, I,
1: but that's the thing about this this series is it goes from obscure things I've never heard of to things like Michael Jordan, things I've heard about way too much. And yet, 98% totally watchable. And 85% incredible. Like pieces of art. These are decent. These are decent to great <laughs> documentary films.
0: Right. No, I think Meatloaf said it best 98 out of hundred. <laughs>
1: that's true. I'm a Meatloaf
0: reference. It's it been a while. It's been a while.
1: Uh that's a stained reference.
0: Did uh, he cover it?
1: No, it's been a while, it's been a while Oh, has oh, oh been gosh, a while. Man.
0: It's been a while that I didn't even catch the it's been a while stand reference Well that's
1: okay, I wish I didn't catch it Oh man uh, But I hope that you all, dear listeners, caught the Ric Flair 30 for 30 documentary called Nature Boy
0: I did not How does someone like me, who has not seen it, how do we how do we find it? Is it on the network? It is not on the network. And that is why you failed. Well, no, that's no, the thing. I hope it's on the internet For somewhere.
1: once, for once, we're getting a very in-depth, very uh, sincere look at wrestling, but without Vince and friends having their grubby little hands all over it. I was a little let down in the last, I would say, last third of the documentary That all of a sudden they went to Triple H a little too often to get his thoughts. But if anybody's been right there with Flair for basically the last third of his career, it's been Triple H. So I understood that. As long as it meant Triple H wasn't uh, the executive producer... I was okay with
0: it. Yeah, they chose what to, to put in. But Triple H chose obviously what he was going to say.
1: He so. did, he did. And he said, fuck a lot. And they bleeped it. They had to bleep it. But I was like, whoa, whoa. All right there. Sit it down now, uh, Hunter. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good special. It, um, it avoids all of the trappings that a typical WWE uh, documentary does. It doesn't spend way too much time playing like hokey stock uh, like country music while showing Polaroids of somebody growing up on a farm
0: it's not Ric Flair like cooking breakfast in his kitchen and it's like they nature boy tell me about blah 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 blah
1: it's uh right exactly we we do get the, the shots of the Polaroids I, I just said we didn't but you do um <laughs> You do get them a little bit, but they're pretty now the
0: audience can't trust anything you say anymore, Darren. <laughs> what did, the, did they all 60, were they still fifty nine episodes of honest honest opinions and views? We get to sixty, and you realize that Darren, who who talks about Vince McMahon, like you know, basically Le- McMahon watching everything. It's like oh, everything I've done has been up and up, and, and the right thing to do. And now, Darren, you realize has been Darren watching this whole time.
1: Uh well I uh, I Darren wash every morning.
0: Oh. Uh I
1: I believe in good hygiene so I Darren wash every morning. Uh the thing about this okay what am I trying to say here? The You have to <laughs> tell us what you're trying it, to say. It is the yes you see the polaroids. It, it's a documentary. It's a documentary about one person's life. it's it, especially an entertainer or an athlete. It's going to follow a certain formula. But He's both what by the way. but what we don't get is we don't have like 20 minutes of him talking about Jim Hurd and wanting him to cut his hair and put a diamond earring in and go by the name of Spartacus and, and we don't have to hear those same old tired stories. We don't have to hear Ric Flair sit there and chill for Vince McMahon and talk about how the happiest day of his life was the last Nitro Because he felt like he was being held hostage there. Ric Flair, I love you to pieces, buddy. But uh, every time you tell a story about how much you hated WCW, you know it's bullshit. I mean, other than that early early 90s brief stint in Stanford, he was an NWA WCW guy. Ride till you die, you know, like... That was, his, that was his bag. Right. If he'd wanted to be in New York, if he'd wanted to be on Vince's programming, he would have been. He even says so on the 30 for 30, that he had an offer to go there in 86. He had an offer to go there in 88. He didn't take either of them because he made perfectly good money with the NWA. He preferred the product of the NWA. All his friends worked for the NWA. He preferred it. And even after the Turner buyout, even after the problems with Hurd and Watts and Hank Aaron and Eric Bischoff and then all of a sudden Harvey Schiller and then AOL Time Warner, guess what? I can guarantee you Vince McMahon would have signed Ric Flair at any one of those moments. Probably tried to. And guess who didn't sign the contract? Ric Flair. So... We don't really have to suffer through that on this 30 for 30. That's what's nice. See, WWE, anytime they interview Ric Flair, of course they're going to air the parts where he's sitting there talking about how amazing Vince McMahon is and how stupid uh, Time Warner was and how worthless Bischoff is. Of course WWE is going to air that. And of course Flair is going to use that platform to say it. But wait, maybe he said it. Maybe he... went went ahead and said it all over again to these ESPN guys. But they, to their credit, if he did say it, did not include it. So we didn't have to hear those tired old stories. That being said, we got to hear the good stories. We got to hear the nitty gritty. We got to see Sting tell a worldwide audience on this 30 for 30 documentary That he's never seen a man with his pants down around his ankles more than the nature boy, Ric Flair. We get to hear Road Warrior Animal talk about Ric Flair walking around fully erect, sticking his penis in wrestlers' faces on an airplane. We get to hear Triple H uh, cuss like a sailor. It's an open, honest documentary uh, full of laughs, full of tears. Uh, I know the last 15 minutes, if you don't cry your eyes out through the last 15 minutes of this documentary, you don't like wrestling.
0: Does Flair's
1: dog die or something? Well, no, his son does. And uh, the whole section... I walked right into that one, didn't I? The whole section about Reed Flair's death and Charlotte getting involved with wrestling and Rick being so proud of Charlotte. And, man, I'm telling you, uh, spoiler alert... When the filmmakers ask Ric Flair if there's anything that he could say to his son Reed now.
0: Why would they do that to him? And Flair,
1: absolutely, it's Niagara Falls. It turns on the faucet. He gets red and veiny. And he looks right in the camera and pours his heart out. And like I said, you either hate wrestling or or you don't have a soul if that does not touch you that moment is so overwhelmingly touching it's it's uh it's pitiful and wonderful at the same time and um and that and that's what happened. nobody likes to see old people cry it's devastating nobody likes to see their heroes cry right and uh so that that's what's wonderful about this documentary is the tears and the beers and the jeers. There's a lot of it in this in this documentary. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. You will not regret it. Uh, you'll get to see some, some really cool stuff.
0: we got to find it somewhere because it's not on the network. Because, again, Vince doesn't own it. But th- that's a good thing. So it's going to be honest, right? Truly. As honest as Flair as, wants to be.
1: Exactly. Honest. And he certainly appeared to be very honest here. Okay. So good for, good for him and good for uh, ESPN for thinking outside the box a little bit. We got some wrestling in here. It's enough of a sport. Thank you very much.
0: Got athletes doing athletic things. I don't know why it's not a sport, but anyway. (laughs) Speaking of Vince not having control over uh, something, or at least somebody, or somebodies, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in a little bit of hot water uh, after their actions on the latest SmackDown Live. Uh, WWE is currently overseas in England, uh, doing Raw and uh, SmackDown Live, they filmed them in the same uh, arena back to back, and uh, it's 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 kind of coming out now. Why? But uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens were actually sent home from the tour. Uh, some people have said that, uh, that there was a, there was an angle where Sami Zayn fought Kofi Kingston on SmackDown, and the I guess the end was supposed to be the New Day basically physically forcing Owens and Zayn uh, backstage but apparently Owens and Zayn don't quite get forced backstage they kind of go backstage on their own terms and it just it doesn't it doesn't quite work well or whatever but well yeah it wouldn't maybe Owens and Zayn just thought that New Day shouldn't be enough to stop them Right. So and I, I, I can kind of see that, but I mean, it, it, when you when you do something that creative and McMahon and all of them have not told you to do, you're basically, quote, going into business for yourself at that point. You are. In which case, it, it, it makes, uh, and you have to be reprimanded, otherwise, you know, what would stop you from doing it all the time. Um, so, uh, they're basically sent home for that, but also Kevin Owens apparently complaining about how the night went on the bus, uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and that was another factor, and... Uh, so that's that's all very interesting. Uh, all that going on, especially I wonder how it'll affect... Because so far, they don't have matches at Survivor Series. And the Survivor Series card is already in a lot of danger as far as there being uh, changes made uh, over this, this, this span of the week by itself. Because we already have a change to the Survivor Series tag team match, which is going to be the Raw Champions against SmackDown Champions. SmackDown Live Champions are still the Usos. The Raw Champions, however... As of the latest Raw, no longer Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. They actually lost them to The Bar, a.k.a. Sheamus and Cesaro. So, the SmackDown Live champions use those when I'll face The Bar at Survivor Series. On top of that, on SmackDown Live this week, Jinder Mahal loses the World Championship to AJ Styles. So, now... It is no longer Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar. It is indeed AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series. Clusterfuck. It All is,
1: but it is the setup is unnecessary. It's a cluster, uh, and every in their defense, everybody would like to see AJ versus Lesnar. I want to see it, right? But I had already decided I
0: wanted to see Gender and Lesnar. Absolutely, a when
1: hashtag. When don't hinder
0: gender. When you start, when you start advertising, you know matches for an event, you kind of like you're stuck with it. Like that's it. Like I was, I've already seen like you know Mahal talk shit on Lesnar on on SmackDown Live. I've already seen Lesnar talk shit on Mahal, or rather Paul Heyman uh, talk shit on behalf of Brock Lesnar. Um, but so yeah, I was like, okay, I'm set up to watch champion versus champion. Mahal's a big guy. Like, he won't... He'll, he'll look intimidating up against Lesnar. Um, and, and, yeah, so now we don't have that. So, I mean, it, things could change. They could easily have AJ lose a title back to... Lose it back to uh, Jinder Mahal. But poor AJ Styles, who who wins the U.S. title from Kevin Owens at a house show. A non-televised event, right? AJ Styles... Sent in to replace a sick Bray Wyatt at TLC on Raw. Not his show. He's a SmackDown guy. Yeah. AJ Styles does in one match what Nak- Nakamura could not do in three matches. What Orton couldn't do in at least three matches. And beats Jinder Mahal. It's crazy. They let they let, they let AJ Styles do whatever he wants. And God knows I fucking love AJ Styles.
1: But right, but it's, it's them doing... He as...
0: can't be your answer for everything. He can't be your fucking Batman. He can't be your fucking Wolverine. He can't be the, the, the way you tie up all the storylines. Oh, this happens. This happens. Oh, but then you know Wolverine comes in and stabs him in the face. It's all good. Or oh, this was going on in the Dark Side. Uh, oh, but Batman. He's very smart and he. he okay. So I mean, that, that's kind of what AJ Styles. Is it's like oh, but but uh, Jinder Mahal. But uh, we don't know. People don't like that. Oh, but AJ Styles comes in and and he, he's you know he's he's Batman. So um so it kind of that's kind of strange to me how he's like the go-to like oh everyone loves AJ Styles but it's almost like. You're using him too much for everything at this point.
1: And I agree with that. But for now, he's the champion. Now you have to do too much with him. Yeah. Now you have to. I'd hate to see them back off now. Because that would just be totally counterproductive.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, short of Mahal getting the belt back, in which case, why would you have AJ win the title for like a week? Because that's about all the time you have left. Going into Survivor Series. Now, hopefully
1: they do not change it. Uh, Apparently, they will be doing a tour of India sometime in December. Oh, man.
0: well Mahal get the belt back depending on where they're at. Right.
1: So, he could uh, win it back somehow, I guess, at Survivor Series. But, i have to do it pretty soon. If he's going to be ready uh, to take that belt into India and really, truly represent. Mm -hmm. Or, maybe it changes hands. In India, right? You know, which is fine by me because anytime that happens, it's just more and more legitimacy right. for the world title. Because if you're only defending your world title on television in ten or twelve major cities in one country, not much of a world
0: title. I understand. So we'll see what changes are made between now and Survivor Series. I'm sure some more changes are ahead. Uh, apparently, they they saw the the chaos of TLC. You know, a lot of people being replaced, and Angle joining in, and Styles joining in, and they were like, "Oh, people love the excitement of of just shit kind of being thrown everywhere." So let's let's do that always, uh, or so it seems. Survivor Series, though that's that's one of your that's one of your big four. I'm very surprised they're like, "Oh, well, that's not that anymore." Now now, so and so's fighting so and so, so. Now, now Batman's fighting Bane, basically. <laughs> so with Lesnar and uh, Styles, but oh, that's, that's a good example. Oh, I'm I'm good at that. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens at Survivor Series. But you know what? Speaking of Survivor Series, folks, almost 20 years ago, Survivor Series 1997 was going to be a, just a regular pay per view, you know, as good as a Survivor Series can be, right? However, it was a day that went down in infamy when uh, a certain situation happened in the ring between the, at that time, champion, WWF champion, Bret Hart, and the challenger, Shawn Michaels. A situation that became known as the Montreal Screwjob. Now, this has been analyzed to death. To death. But we're going to dig it up. (laughs) We're going to... Kick the remains around and uh, analyze a little bit more. What do you think, Darren? Well, uh, we uh, definitely uh, are going to do
1: that because it deserves it. Right. It's 20 years. It's a time of reflection. Uh, It's amazing that it's been 20 years. And this can never be overly analyzed. Can it be talked about too much? Can it be referenced too much? Probably so. And it probably is. I don't think most people are going to absolutely deconstruct it like we're about to. Well, then,
0: let's get into this thing. Let's shell this peanut. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole and shows take on the Montreal Screwjob.
1: Are you ready for a screwjob? It has been 20 years since the Montreal Screwjob. Dear listeners, do you remember the Montreal screw job? Where were you the night that somebody screwed Brett? And by Brett, we mean Brett the Hitman Heart. That's right, dear listeners, 20 years ago today, today as we're recording this, the day before this podcast drops, on November 9th, 1997, the Survivor Series came to us live. From Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And we saw a main event that pitted WWF champion Brett the Hitman Hart against the challenger, the most hated rival, the heartbreak kid, and leader of Degeneration generation X, Shawn
0: Michaels. And he has the second most coveted title in the uh, industry. <laughs> The European title. That's right. We always we forget that he at the time he was the European champion. A belt that became nothing. Uh, the second D'Lo Brown was European champion. Yeah, yeah. It's a
1: lot like today's UK championship. They're trying their best to ruin it, and there's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for that belt to be ruined. I mean, at least they brought Pete Dunn out recently on a real show. Instead of uh, a network exclusive show where they've hidden him away. Yeah. The belt itself is too beautiful for them to do that with the UK championship. Uh, but yes, it, yeah. on this night, 20 years ago, we saw Shawn Michaels with D-Generation X. And this is the original D-Generation X with Shawn Michaels at the helm. Triple H on the side with his bodyguard, China. And the Enforcer ravishing Rick Rude. And uh, this was quite a quartet of folks. And on this night, Michaels is taking on Bret Hart. And let us set the stage for the night. Bret Hart was on his way out. And when we say on his way out, out of the WWF. Bret Hart's contract uh, had been, I guess it was uh, mutually agreed upon that they would uh,
0: be backing out of the twenty-year contract. Right. You have to remember that Bret Hart, Vince McMahon begged Bret Hart, who was going to leave already, to stay in WWF because he felt he couldn't go on without Bret Hart. So he basically begged Bret Hart and said, "Like we're such great friends, you know, please stay. Don't go to Don't go to Ted Turner's WCW. Twenty-year guaranteed contract. All right. Which was unheard of." Unheard of. Except that
1: they then turned right around and did it for Mark Henry. But... At the time, it was unheard of. At the time... Before anyone had ever heard it, it was unheard of. That's true. Right. For ten minutes until Mark Henry
0: came in <laughs> came in, in the following meeting... <laughs> Mark Henry wondered why his contract had Bret Hart's name crossed out and then his name written above it. And then, like, a huge multi-million dollar figure crossed out.
1: <laughs> and his 60000 a year yes. <laughs> penciled in. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, Mizark. Mm. Oh, man. So, Bret Hart has decided he's going to WCW. Vince, backing out of the 20-year contract, even though it was Vince's idea, Bret is like, fine. Bret's already pissed. He he hates the new direction of the WWF. He hates this, this period, which is right before what will become Attitude. And what what's so amazing to me to look back on is that Bret Hart, his choice of words in his interviews, his actions, and everything about him and that incarnation, that final huge incarnation of the Hart Foundation, to me... That all of that Bret Hart right there in 1997 was as much or more uh, valuable in terms of the Attitude Era mm-hmm. than anything else in the Attitude Era. Bret Hart to me, the 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 Canadian hero, and that sort of rough around the edges Hart Foundation, that five member Hart Foundation, is every bit as Attitude. As DX and as Stone Cold and as
0: Lord of Darkness Undertaker to me, right, right. No, uh, well, th- the thing with Bret Hart is he he just had that old school mentality. So when when things were becoming basically Vince was saying, all right, well, fuck, sex and sex and violence because we gotta compete with WCW. So the Attitude Era was born out of that. Um, Bret Hart, I mean, very vocal about. I don't like this and like, you know, you should have better standards in America and be more wholesome and all that stuff. And uh, DX comes out here and they're shaking their asses and, and cursing on TV. And, and Bret Hart was just being Brett as far as we knew. But I mean, Bret Hart n- never would have survived in the attitude era because even though technically morally, he's right, you know, like this is a kid's show for the most part. And DX, they are acting like assholes but, like, that was the cool thing, to be an asshole. That, that NWO, you know, mentality, which worked so well for WCW, WWF completely ripped off with DX. Let's go ahead and just, I mean, obviously oh, say that. Oh, for sure. That. No. Uh, right, right, right. 100%. But, um, so, even though Bret Hart's going, that's horrible, and, and why, why would you apply that? People are like, yeah, you suck, go back to Canada. I mean, it was, it was a strange time, because not only do you have an audience where the, the the thinking is changing and people want to see you know dx you know pull their asses out and curse and, and basically mock authority. Um, there's that and then there's the people who know Brett's Brett has one foot out the door, he's going to WCW, so he's a sellout. He's a traitor. And at the same time it's it's Canada versus the United States. There's already a rivalry between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. The Iron Man match just happened, which, for my money, is the best wrestling match you will ever see. It is an hour of two of, of the greatest, some of the greatest wrestlers wrestling, you know, and, and both bring in a different style to the table. I mean, if you, if you are a wrestling fan and you have not seen the WrestleMania 12 Iron Man match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, then, you know, stop this podcast right now and go watch it. It's over, an, it's over an hour of just two great wrestlers, like I said, two different styles. Obviously, Bret Hart being a great grappler, very, being very technical, uh, Shawn Michaels being very athletic. Both, you know, growing up in the, in the same WWF system with the same, the same uh, uh, thought process, the same ring psychology. You know, b- both coming from tag teams, both like being the shining stars of these tag teams. You know, the Hart Foundation with Anvil. With Bret Hart and the fucking... The Rockers with Marty Jannetty and, and Shawn Michaels. And then these two to be already... They've been around the block so many times. They've been in WWF so long. So, they, they again, they still have that old school mentality. But, like I said, the times are a change. And so now Michaels is, is kind of becoming the sexy boy Shawn Michaels. The obnoxious DX leader Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart is still that guy that he was when he first came in.
1: You know, or, and, and I, yeah, I'm going to cut you off because I have to say... That uh, That's, but that's where I'm going. Right. Is that you, I'm going to say you're right. I'm going to say you're right that Brett probably didn't have a place in what would become attitude. Uh, when I'm talking, and when I say what would become attitude, I mean like ball gag, gold dust. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, choppy, choppy UPP, Valvinus, uh, Sable with the black uh, handprints on her, otherwise. Completely bare breasts on national television, yeah, yeah, no Brett probably doesn't belong there, any version of him by his own admission, by his own choice and 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 by virtue of the character he always portrayed however uh that year ninety seven where it's not the attitude era, but it is the attitude era it's 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 the rise uh of the attitude era where you you have the this the, all the characters are transforming, and my point is Brett was too uh even if it was slightly against his will or even if it was just his own version of it. it was happening, and it was beautiful for a man who self admittedly uh Brett Hart always not a fan of his own promos, the promos he shot in nineteen ninety seven were the best of his career right. When he went to WCW, I don't believe he ever shot a single good promo. No. Uh, after a decade, after a, a decade more of absence from WWE, you know, every every time he's ever come back, and, and granted he's suffered a lot of of health problems, severe uh, health setbacks, we don't expect him to be as sharp as he once was. But anything uh, since Brett has returned to WWE uh, has not been uh, of note. So there it is 1997 that whole year that you know I've been screwed over right which just lasts the whole year whether he's talking about Sid or Sean or Austin or Taker it's there is so much anger and animosity which had to be at least 80 to 90% heartfelt and a shoot mm-hmm. right that was beautiful storytelling that was amazing uh you know attitude era storytelling before the attitude era even really existed set to me to me put 1997 wwf up against 1996 wcw and it's a beautiful call and response it is 18 months of this yes Hashtag, this is awesome. Hashtag, this is wrestling. Not, you know, Bash of the Beach 96 to Starrcade 97, all, you know, up to and including Bad Blood and Survivor Series 97. Holy crap. That's good stuff. And Bret Hart, again, willingly or unwillingly, was an
0: amazing component of that. But I, I my point that I'm trying to make is Bret Hart never changed the wrestling business changed. Uh, uh, behind the scenes? No, no, at all. He 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 was the guy he always was. And Bret Hart, Bret Hart who had been a good guy for so long, even though originally the Hart Foundation, they were bad guys. Right. Uh, Bret Hart had been the good guy for so long that when he became the bad guy, when he basically turned heel when he was uh, feuding with Steve Austin, hashtag blood from a stone, Um, I I don't think he ever recovered from that. And I, I think, uh, Michaels wasn't necessarily the good guy, but he was the cooler guy. So people cheered more for Michaels than Bret Hart, you know, until he went to Canada, in which case he is a fucking rock star in Canada. Um, so that, that, that's very interesting. And that's something to think about going into the match as well. And just God, there's so much to think about this fucking match. There and, is so much, which which so much. Which, which, by the way, we mentioned Wrestling with Shadows. If you have not seen the documentary Wrestling with Shadows, which is a, a documentary crew uh, follows Bret Hart around for the like a year, basically, and it basically ends with this. This all happens. You know, it, it's it's like uh, this isn't very popular, but I'll say it. Uh, some kind of monster with Metallica. Of all the times, a new documentary about fucking making an album with Metallica. What a perfect time to do it! The band was basically it, basically almost self-destructed, and it's all caught on on you know tape. And you know, love it or hate it, whatever, how you feel about Metallica is the way you feel about Metallica, whatever. Uh, I like them. Uh, <laughs> that's an understatement. But like, man, what a great fucking time for those guys to be like, let's do a documentary about you guys. You know, whatever. Same with Wrestling with Shadows. What a fucking great time Wrestling to do a documentary was, yeah. about Bret Hart. Yeah. Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows
1: is the definition of capturing lightning in a bottle. Absolutely. They didn't even realize that they needed to bring a bottle. They didn't know there was a lightning storm gonna happen. Right. And yet it all came together, and that is a, a, a beautiful piece of filmmaking right there. Now, and I don't want to get I don't want to get into it now, but I'm just gonna go ahead and plant the seed. We'll come back to it. There are elements of, of Wrestling with Shadows, and there are elements to the presentation of this whole thing, which I don't believe started immediately, but at some point in the last eight or so years, there has been a growing argument. It went from a, like a, a, a slight underground shuffling to a full-blown movement, and a documentary of its own was made, To make a case for the fact that Montreal and the Screwjob was a work. So, uh, dear listeners, stick around. After we lay the groundwork of the Screwjob as a Screwjob, we do want to address the concept and the possibility that this was all a work. Right. Because that's heavy duty. That's heavy duty. But yeah, we're going into this match. Here we are. It's the main event of Survivor Series. Uh, This is going to be uh, another momentous match, any way you slice it, between Brett and Shawn. And for those who are watching live in 1997 who know Brett Hart has signed a contract with Eric Bischoff, Ted Turner, World Championship Wrestling, to go to work down south in Atlanta, they know this might be the last time they ever see Brett and Shawn.
0: Right. And if, if you, if again, if you've seen Wrestling With Shadows, you know, according to the documentary, according to Bret Hart's own words, the plan was he did not want to lose the, the WWF belt in Canada to Shawn Michaels. Period. So the idea was basically the next day on Raw, um, still champion, he would drop the belt then on his way out. To WCW.
1: And he apparently, his own words, was open to doing it anyway. Any way they want. He will do the job. He will relinquish the belt. Right. He will do it to Sean. He will do it to whomever. Right. But just don't make me do it in Montreal on this night. Right. Now, Brett's probably incredibly difficult to do business with. If you watch Wrestling with Shadows, if you watch shoot interviews with people talking about Brett. If you watch Brett's own WWE produced career retrospective DVD, if you watch the Brett versus Shawn classic rivalries DVD that WWE produced, you'll see Brett is difficult to do business with. He is incredibly self-important. Incredible that he is his own biggest fan and then that is a person who's going to be difficult to do business with. But in his defense, you have to forget whatever led up to that night or whatever led up to the point in which we're having, we being Brett and Vince, presumably, having the conversation about what happens to the belt. In that moment only, at least, that's all Brett's asking. Mm -hmm. That is all Brett is asking. Just not here and now. Right.
0: Anything else? Right. I'll I'll break this legally binding contract for guaranteed money for the next twenty years. My only thing is I don't want to lose the belt at Survivor Series in Montreal. I'll gladly drop it to whoever you want the next day on Raw. Like th- th- this is my 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 farewell performance in Montreal. You know, like honoring a long illustrious career, in the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, um, like, just don't let me lose in my right. home well, country. Well, yeah, but
1: exactly, because right. he's got to honor his family, his country, his personal legacy, the yeah. legacy of
0: his father and his family, and, and of the nation. That is exactly not unreasonable. And that's the biggest thing, I think. It's more like he felt like if he lost the belt, because really, Shawn Michaels, you know, desecrating the, the maple leaf, desecrating the Canadian flag... It-
1: uh, up to this night and on and this on, night. Exactly.
0: It really became Canada versus the United States at this point. And he felt like he had the weight of Canada on his shoulders. So how bad would that be to lose it? To lose the title, lose the match, Canada would lose to to the United States, to Shawn Michaels. So,
1: Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but, uh, I'm going to do this, uh, throughout this conversation, I'm going to give a lot of benefit of the doubt. I'm going to play a lot of devil's advocate here because these types of situations are very sticky. They are precarious and you cannot know what you would do in a situation. You can try to think that you would, right. but there's a lot of people to blame in this situation. There's a lot of people to forgive in this situation. Basically, there's a lot of people to consider in this situation so I, like I just said, I'm going to forgive or give the benefit of the doubt to Brett uh, in terms of that's all he wanted was this one night. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Vince McMahon, and that's something no one ever does uh, because, you know, as the well the the supreme leader, uh, you know, he, he's untouchable, uh, but untouchable in a bad way. He's always going to get... Uh, the negative publicity. He's always going to be the bad guy in all of these scenarios and Mm -hmm. all of these stories. But in his defense, because Brett's contract was ending that night, he, he being Vince McMahon was going to have to take Brett at his word to appear the next night on raw and basically work either for free or Basically, I'm sure he would be paid regardless, but work outside of his contract and not only work outside of his contract, but at the highest level in the company, show up as the champion victorious from the night before. And so Vince is like, there's nothing legally binding him to do that.
0: It would literally be a handshake deal. They, but Vince could have. I mean, Vince isn't stupid. He could have drawn up a contract for that one date, and, and said uh, like, "Hey, man, put my mind at ease and sign this piece of paper real quick. It's very simple. It states that you will appear on my show, you will do as told, and you will drop the belt to whoever I choose on on this night at Monday Night Raw." Oh, I know.
1: I I, I, I see. I, and be- I and because
0: that. Vince Vince is smart enough to know that makes me think like, why didn't he just do that? Well,
1: again, we'll discuss it as we actually get into the meat and potatoes of this match. And we're certainly going to have to discuss it when we uh, take a look at this from the possibility of it being a work. Vince is only going to benefit from all of this.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, back to before the match has started. Well, before we really get into it, the most important part about all of this is, I know we joke about this in the show a lot, but uh, Survivor Series is literally brought to you by Karate Fighters! Karate Fighters! Karate Fighters. Which I thought was hilarious. Oh, of course it is. And I was like, I was, I was, because there's that whole, that whole beautiful package montage of Brett versus Sean at the beginning. And I was like, oh, and now Karate Fighters brings you. And it actually came up. And it, pretty and mu- now. it pretty
1: much echoes you.
0: <laughs> I was like, I was kidding. You're like, and now Karate, karate Fighters. Uh, and
1: now Karate
0: Fighters. <laughs> <project." laughs> oh, man. So anyway, that joke comes from somewhere, folks. I'm not, I'm not just a crazy <laughs> asshole. Um, okay. So that's it. We're in in Montreal. We know what's supposed to happen. All right. So Brett, Brett is set to retain his title. We don't know how, but all that we know is that he's supposed to, he does. Right. Okay. Well, it starts off with Shawn Michaels coming out of the DX locker room. You can tell it's the DX locker room because it has a, it has a sign on the door that says DX, even though when Shawn Michaels leaves the locker room with Triple H and China and ravishing Rick Rude and tow, you see the British Bulldog in the background, which means the TX it is not for the DX only. It's just the locker room. It's rooms. just the locker room and they put up a Bulldog sign. just walks
1: in there, and not in a oh I'm gonna get him. Right. I'm right. here, I'm, I'm oh, oh man no, he's
0: just He's mm. just yeah, this is where we all go. Uh what does this sign say? My name is David Smith. <laughs> yes. They walk a pretty long path to get to the entryway.
1: Well, a really long.
0: It path. It seems like they're actually legit lost, and I think Shawn Michaels even says, "I don't even know where the fuck to go," or something like that. Um, but uh, they get to the entryway. Oh,
1: I mean, Triple H is already running the show.
0: Oh yeah, man. When you
1: look, at, when you oh man, when you look at back using the lens of history, and you see Triple H even as a very young man as a sidekick. He's still like, yes, this is what we're doing. Right, right, right. And then you hear the stories that everywhere Sean was, Triple H was right there, and he was bargaining hard with Vince McMahon. It's like, damn, did that dude always know that he was going to take over the WWF? I think he
0: knew. (laughs) Um, So Sexy Boy plays. Shawn Michaels comes out to the entryway. European belt and toe. Again, he is the European champion at the time. Uh, No DX, though. DX just, I guess, stops... Uh, So, for some reason, DX doesn't come out of the ring, which is kind of odd. Um, I wonder if there was a stipulation beforehand that they were going to be barred from ringside or whatever. But they're not there with Shawn Michaels. Um, But then Shawn Michaels (laughs) gets to the ring. Uh, I believe he's carrying a Canadian flag.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. If he didn't have it with him the whole time, he has it by the time he's ready to perform with it.
0: Right. By the way, this, this Canadian crowd is super hot. It is super fucking hot because this match is for all the marbles. In fact, uh, Shawn Michaels takes like a full fucking coke or soda to the face on the oh, way to man. the ring. Like it's 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 bad, and if not for like flashing the
1: pearly whites, he essentially no sold it. Right. But even I mean, even he had to flash like an arrogant like "f you" kind of smile right. because it was so blatant. Oh yeah, that soda came. Raining down it was on him. full. And I will say. Someone spent like 20 bucks on that to Dow Show Michaels. <laughs> 20 bucks well spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to say if you've ever seen an audience and thought to yourself, man, everybody's standing. Guess what? They weren't. Except for this night in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Every single person is standing. Every single person is floating yeah. about eight inches off the ground. I have never, like, this is this is like uh I don't know this is like how was this not like a like a <laughs> like a British soccer hooligan tragedy or like a seventies rock and roll concert I'm expecting someone to get crushed to death up against these railings because people are almost right. almost literally spilling over the railings, yeah, there are people whose like knees are at the top of the old school. Metal guardrails. They are. They're just. And then the signs. The peep. The signs people are holding. Right. You know. You forget that it used to be
0: required for every audience member to have a sign. It's incredible. Right. This. This is Hogan versus Warrior. Only Hogan's Canadian. Yeah. And yeah. in Canada, you know, Hogan is in, Hogan is American. I mean, America. this,
1: the, this. This atmosphere. That just that. Just the atmosphere during. During the
0: entrances, it blows my mind. It, it It's up there with anything. You can feel the high stakes, and also it's great that when they're walking through the entranceway, or rather, walking through the backstage area to get the entranceway, you hear that music that you hear for cage matches. Which kind of makes you think, like, oh, this is like a big fucking deal, this right. is main event time. Um, and this this one's for, again for all the marbles. Okay, so Shawn Michaels is out there. So we we cut to the Hart Foundation coming out of the probably the DX locker room with minus <laughs> minus the sign. Um, but it is Bret Hart uh, with the the WWF Championship, uh, and he's with uh, British Bulldog. He's with uh, Jim Mamble Neidhardt, and is with Blade, his son, who is carrying a, another uh, Canadian flag, um, and they're coming out. And again, that they get to the entryway, Bret Hart's music hits, and Bret Hart by himself comes out. Ever Bret Hart, he gets the the Canadian hero welcome. Yeah, he does. But even then, there's still a lot of people with signs that say like, you know, you're a sellout, and right, why not go to WCW now?
1: Yeah, that's so a it's weird, weird. That's a weird dichotomy within the dichotomy. Right. Where even in Canada now, there's the people that are pissed because he's going to WCW, and of course that makes sense. I mean. We we were watching back then. We were watching every single week both products. So we know WCW fairly regularly, happily, confidently, and successfully ran shows in Canada, mm-hmm. but not like WWF did. Right. So I'm assuming these people there that night, whether unless they were just you know super WWF only marks, those kinds of signs were basically them pleading. Uh, you know, either pleading for Bret not to go, or just saying, "Fine, screw you, good riddance." If you're not going to stay with WWF, because now you're our hero, and we're never going to see you if you're wrestling in Atlanta all the time.
0: Exactly. And I'm surprised the fans can see anything because there are that many signs in the audience. There are that many flags in the audience. <laughs> there are that many giant signs in the audience. It it is insanity.
1: And truly, no one sits down. No, they're not sitting down, and. I, I don't know if the railings are just that much closer or we've become so accustomed to seeing that giant black and now it's dark gray uh, padded. You know, it's almost like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but you all, dear listeners, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. The WWE ring setup, And it's so different from what wrestling used to be, which was just a series
0: of metal guardrails like you would use in any other it looks like a like a medium uh in in on a uh, on the freeway, the interstate, but but made of padding instead of made of uh, concrete. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, but it seems
1: like the railings on this night are even closer, or just the fact that it appears these people are spilling
0: over the railing. They are so close to the action. Yeah. Any any time the the action goes out of the ring, which the first fifteen minutes is them out of the ring fighting. Um, people are just like touching them no matter how close to the ring they are. It does seem like they're much closer. It does. It really does. It really does. Not to mention that the ringside
1: is full, conspicuously full of other people as well. Right. And I don't mean like cameramen, not the guys that you always, even today, see like lying on the floor trying to look. Like they're not there trying to blend in with their, you know, right, <laughs> their right. headphones and their microphone. No, uh, WWE officials, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Sergeant Slaughter. Why are these
0: people out there? Well, you don't see them yet. I, I think at this point you don't quite see them because like I said, before the before the bell even rings, before the match even starts, this goes out of the ring. And they're 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 fighting out of the ring for like I said a good long time, and it spills over the guardrail into the audience, and apparently there is no security there because there is no fucking security there. They go into the audience and and they get swallowed. They get swallowed by the audience. Like if Shawn Michaels went down to the ground and like laid out, he'd probably get trampled to death. It was a a fucking The Who concert from like the seventies. Exactly. Yeah, because all of a sudden you see these three referees jump in and try to do crowd control, and it's like this isn't fucking crowd control. These are goddamn officials. Like it's not it's not their their job to like make sure that the the fucking wrestlers don't get hurt. Like they're they're little normal sized guys. Yeah, I, Tim White, Jimmy
1: Corderas, and I mean, and a couple of others. And what are they? Uh, I mean, they're they're
0: struggling. Yeah, and they're they're getting swallowed up by the crowd. Luckily, and you know they
1: had to be screaming get.
0: Back. Luckily, even Brett's like, "All right, this is like insanity. We need to get back." And so they, they get back over the rail. This is when Vince and, and Slaughter and Patterson show up. But to, to me, it looked kind of like, "Oh, we were concerned that the audience might actually hurt you guys, so that's why we came."
1: And out. that, and that's true, and that's a valid point, yeah. and that's fair, and I agree. Except Vince,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it something is wrong from the minute you see Vince McMahon. Which
0: which we haven't talked about this part, is Vince McMahon hasn't really been established on television as the boss. And how weird is
1: that, dear listeners? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So Vince McMahon shows up, and I've said this in the show before, but it's, it's like, you know, before... Or when you see this happen... You've only really seen Vince McMahon do like interviews backstage, do commentary. So it's like, what's commentator Vince McMahon doing to the casual wrestling fan? Absolutely. So he shows up looking very official, looking very stern and angry. Um, and uh, the match continues, still on the outside for a long time. Um, but more officials are showing up. Gerald Briscoe shows up. Um, so you have all these... Well, you have, you have Sergeant Slaughter, who's a pretend general manager. Like, he's the guy that everyone thinks is actually in charge, who's actually not in charge. Yeah, I think he was the commissioner. Yeah, at the time, but I then think. you have Patterson, Briscoe, and McMahon, who are the ones who actually run the show, who are there. Um, so uh, it's funny that you have the guy that's the fake boss, and then you have all the real bosses show up. Um, but everyone thinks, oh, Slaughter, you get him. But it just it adds to that general chaos, which is the people are too
1: close to the ring. They're losing their minds. Uh, Lawler and Ross are going crazy on commentary. Mm-hmm. And now the the ringside is filling up with WWE officials. And, you know, you're 100% right that uh, it's easily, uh, or it should be at least, easily dismissed that they're there for the sake of protection, crowd control, because it certainly appeared there was no building security or police involved. Uh, so they're there maybe to, you know, offer up security purposes or whatever. Not only, I mean, of course, it's immediately reeks when you watch it 20 oh, yeah. years later. But even then, why are they there? Right, right, that, right. Even that night, it's like, especially Vince. Especially Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has not at all, uh, I mean, at that point... Maybe we've seen him him sort of speak up uh, on behalf of this blossoming new era or this period of competition between them and WCW, but he still seems like he's just doing it as a representative of the company right. the way that Jim Ross might do it or the mm-hmm. way that
0: Sean Mooney may have done it in the past. But casual fans, which is anyone who doesn't have access to dirt sheets or you know doesn't know the websites to go to to find out about what's going on in the, in the, real, prof- the real world of professional wrestling, they they don't know that Vince McMahon, you know, is the owner of WWF and no, all that stuff. No, so especially so it's now like November of 1997. Exactly. So so that, so that's that. Okay. So all these people are ringside, um, they finally get back into the ring and you get a great match because these two guys can fucking can go over an hour of great wrestling. Um so yeah, a a 15-20 minute match is like is nothing to these guys. And uh no, it's a great match. It is a great match. All of the action on the
1: outside would have been enough. Right, that's fantastic fighting, storytelling. All they're showing is we hate each other. We hate each other. We are fighters. We are prideful, uh, and and we're tough. And that's what the outside battle shows. Then in the ring, we get to
0: see. Okay, they're also skilled technicians. They're great ring technicians. They are great ring psychology. They're both making each other look like a million bucks, even though they hate each other. They're both protecting each other, even though they fucking hate each other. Right. They're still uh, professionals. Right. And this is both of these guys, both of them, Mm -hmm. at the height of their unprofessionalism. And this is something Bret Hart mentions in his book, which, watching this with you uh, before we, we sat down to talk about it, made me immediately want to read all 1000 billion <laughs> pages of uh, Bernard's book again which is great if you haven't read it it's good it's very good um where he talks about like uh you know even though Sean, Sean and him didn't get along they still protected each other and all that stuff because that that's a big deal and that actually meant a lot to him even though like obviously there was animosity there and this, Downright didn't like each other. Well, that, I mean, that's... Michaels didn't. Michaels never set out to hurt him. He never set out to hurt Michaels. the The biggest example of that is the spot where Bret Hart does the the figure four in the uh in the tur- in the in the ring post. Oh yeah, wrapped around the ring exactly. Post. Because that move relies so much on your opponent helping you out. They have to hold your foot, otherwise you're gonna fall in the back of your head which is what happens to Bret Hart when he fights Goldberg and Goldberg not so much because he was setting out to hurt Bret Hart but because he was he just didn't it, know any was better he just so green he didn't hold Bret Hart's foot which led to this is, this is years after the fact when Bret Hart did eventually go to WCW Bret Hart falls back on his head which he says is what began uh all, all the all the trouble with his head and eventually led it to the stroke. Um people think it was when Goldberg kicked him after after the fact, but no. That was the that was the thing that did it, and then the kick was like basically the straw that brought the camel's back. So so that happened with Goldberg in experience. Shawn Michaels could have just let Bret Hart fall in the back of his head right there and then. But no, even Shawn Michaels then was protecting him and, and
1: Well sure and, and, and I feel I, I feel the need to to say one more time uh to agree with you here it's uh it is totally worth noting and respecting and even lauding the fact that Brett because of his uh, uh displeasure and his disgruntled uh, s- uh status at this point and Sean simply because of i don't know his addictions his his arrogance mm-hmm. and all of the things that are well documented you know, I'm not. I'm not uh, casting aspersions here. These are well documented drug problems and behavioral problems out of Michaels, despite Brett and Sean probably both at their uh, at their least professional they've ever been, mm-hmm. are still being consummate professionals right. when it comes to doing. What it takes as one of the boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they're both out there participating one or well, both willingly and unwillingly in the in each other's stories, both participating in 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 acts that are going to uh, betray uh trust in the business, right. And yet while both of them are acting in different ways to betray the trust of the business, we're still protecting each other as talent absolutely how weird is that and that's also, amazing it
0: is amazing and also you have to remember this match happens uh very closely to uh it, it wasn't wrestling related but Brian Pullman's death so there the, the, there's something a bit more about protecting each other also the incident with Owen Hart pilot driving Steve Austin and nearly paralyzing Steve Austin in the ring so like i I think like uh you know ring safety became like a huge like a major major issue and, and it should always be an issue obviously it's very important um so like, there's that kind of that to think about too there's there was a tragedy and very near tragedy uh going on around the time so but yeah the fact they had each other and still protect each other still put on a fucking great match still made each other look good still sold the shit out of each other's moves and still told a fucking great story and that's what this is. This is the end of a great story. Right. And because of the fact that these guys have clearly
1: been given different direction, they're going in different directions. They're At least Brett's kind of going into business for himself. Uh, and yet they're still telling kind of one story. And that's what's, uh, that's what's really beautiful. Okay. Again, a sidebar. Totally relevant, but it's it's clearly a sidebar. This has to be a jumping on point for those fans, like those fans uh, that are like us. Here we are, we're in our late teens at this point in 1997, and there shouldn't have been a lot of years left that we could have been the marks that we were. Had wrestling continued as it had been, had we had more Doink the Clowns and Evad Sullivan's and Dungeons of Doom, and, you know, and we'd had there been that on through 98, 99, 2000, we'd have probably stopped watching. But I, I think that this is the point, this night, even, not the Attitude Era overall, but really this night. It's the reason we're having this conversation 20 years later. This night gave us the full-blown peek behind the curtain that added that other level of intrigue. Mm -hmm. Because now it wasn't just looking at dirt sheets for spoilers, not just who's jumping, who's jumping to Nitro, who's jumping to Raw. Now it's more like, let's turn all wrestling fans into investigative journalists. Mm-hmm. It it added another level, um, it added another layer of appeal. Now all of a sudden, everyone, especially those of us that were either A, getting older, B, getting smarter, or C, both, uh, that opportunity to appreciate the business all of a sudden in a different way. Right. Because you,
0: you appreciate wrestling for the... the... The sport or the art. The sport or the the art. The storyline. But now there's this whole other layer. where like the the stories that are going. The stories that you see on television are very interesting themselves. But knowing about what's going on behind the scenes. Is as interesting or even more interesting.
1: And then the fact that wrestling is going to embrace that. Mm -hmm. And like milk it. And at least at first not milk it to death. Milk it
0: just. Right, but where it's all part and parcel of the presentation. The two layers intersect. Right. And and, and that's very odd. It's what Scott Hall did when he showed up on, on Nitro. Exactly. And everyone Both. thought WWF was invading without him ever saying the word nope. WWF. Not a word, not a peep. Right, and, and any time you, you can fool a smart wrestling fan, like, those are the moments you live for. Because Those are the moments I live for, they ne-
1: please
0: fool me. Because they because ne- it never happens anymore. You know, we're, we're basically watching a magician pull a rabbit out of its hat. It's like, yeah, there's a box underneath the table where the rabbit is, and he pulls him out. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Um, <laughs> basically, um. So anyway, so so all that you said, and that that's all very true. So back to the match. We've just seen these two wrestle. One hell of a match. You know, they told the story. It's time to wind things down. Let's go home. Let's finish the night. Let's finish the pay per view. Let's finish this feud. Let's basically finish this feud because one of us is leaving the company. Another the one staying in the company. And we can't be we can't be drinking buddies anymore. You know, not that they, not that they ever were. at This point. Um, so here's what the, the 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 finish of the match turns out being. We don't know what it was supposed to be, um, but here's what it turns out being. Bret Hart goes up top. And he was, you know, obviously coming coming down with you know double axe handle. Don't know what he was gonna come down with. Shaw Michaels pulls referee Earl Hebner in front of him. Red Hart crashes into the referee, knocks out the referee for a little bit, uh, like a very short while. Ref- Earl Hebner's kind of dazed at this point. He's not knocked out. Sometimes sometimes if you if you smack a referee, they're down for like 20 minutes. And some this this case he just kinda of got dazed a little bit. But he's kind of dazed, doesn't really know where he is anymore, disoriented. Uh, Shawn Michaels grabs Bret Hart's legs and puts Bret Hart into a sharpshooter. Now this is Bret Hart's finishing maneuver. Okay. So Shawn Michaels is putting the, putting the sharpshooter on Bret Hart.
1: So again, this is sort of like seeing Vince McMahon at ringside. Yeah. It's why is he doing that?
0: Vince goes from what you see him in a couple shots to he is basically has his hands on the, on the ring and it's like, uh... <laughs> right. De-
1: okay, dude is definitely not playing crowd control anymore. No, no, no. What no. are you doing? Right. And uh, th- and then the mysterious nature of
0: Michael's applying the sharpshooter. Right. A few seconds, seconds of Bret Hart being in the sharpshooter, Earl Hebner kind of comes to and looks over and rings the calls for the bell to ring. And as the bell is ringing... Shawn Michaels' music hits because Shawn Michaels just won the match according to, you know, the referee and all that. But Bret Hart is still wrestling, reverses the sharpshooter, kind of gets halfway into it, like he knocks Shawn Michaels over, and then he just stops and realizes what just happened. And the body language here
1: is chilling. Yeah. Again, the lens of history looking back from 20 years and then watching it and focusing on the different things watching Earl Hebner clearly like deliver a phony acknowledgement of, of something that didn't occur mm-hmm. you you see him he, he he's sort of like bouncing almost he's sort of bent at the knees and he's bouncing and like he's kind of looking at the submission hold, he's looking at Michaels with Bret Hart in the Sharpshooter, and yet he's not looking. He he he's 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 a nanosecond away from turning his attention uh, to the timekeeper, mm-hmm. and then when he does, he does this sort of weird kind of like shaky, limp-wristed version of Ring the Bell, where it just looks simultaneously like an act and not like an act. Because you'll never, never again have we seen a referee act this way. You, Whether it's a shoot or a work, uh, or he's playing dazed or he's not playing dazed, you will never see body language like you see in Earl Hebner at that moment. Mm-hmm. Then there's Brett. And that's what you were saying. When Brett realizes... And maybe he doesn't even quite realize it yet. He realizes something. You can see You can see his wheels turning. You can see him processing it. And as he turns, and there is a wonderful close-up, he turns and casts his eyes at Michael's and then looks under the bottom rope outside the ring and he has to be looking at Vince. Oh, yeah. There is this shock on his face is not a smirk it's not a disgusted smile um it it is just sort of an open mouth shock and and it, it gives me chill bumps right now to to see that and and i've been replaying that face in my head for 20 years i see it every night when i go to bed <laughs> in all seriousness I probably do replay that even when I'm not watching it Mm -hmm. ten or twelve times a year because it's chilling. Right. It's chilling to watch something that if this is all a shoot, you watch a man have his heart broken. Right. Because it's not just a matter of of losing, although it is that, it's losing, it's betrayal. And in his mind, it is it just erases his WWF career. Right. It erases his legacy, his friendships, his trust, um, and you see it all slowly dawn on him, and
0: then it turns to fury. Yeah. But Shawn Michaels at this point, the Brett obviously breaks the hole because there's no point anymore, they're not wrestling anymore. Bret Hart is standing over the top rope and, and like shouting toward Vince, who's standing outside. Shawn Michaels is sitting on the he's sitting in the ring, but he has his I guess he has like his legs out of the ring. Yeah. And he's kind of shouting. I think he immediately says, What the fuck? And he, he goes under that bottom rope. And they're obviously, you know, McMahon and the gang are like, you know, just take the belt and fucking go. Um so McMahon you know, Shawn Michaels looks very upset, or he's pretending to be very, very upset. I was
1: about to say, I think, again, if this is a shoot, then Michaels' reaction is a work.
0: Right. Which, that, it, it,
1: it does look like a work, by the way. It does, because it, it, it's it's phony. Yeah. It, it, Shawn Michaels, who is an extremely good actor, extremely good at selling both... Did you see him in the Gavin Stone <laughs> movie? He's a very good actor. <laughs> uh, no one saw that. No one saw um, that. In that moment, It's no, it's, oh no, what has happened is, you know, is Michael's initial reaction. Mm -hmm. Then it turns quickly to give me my belt. Then, strangely enough, he, all of a sudden he wants to be sexy boy again. He wants to be the leader of DX and he starts, um, it's not like truly arrogant. He doesn't like spit. In Brett's direction, or like flick him off, or even crotch chop. Right. But he does sort of wave the belt around and like jump up. Hooray for me. I won. haha. Well, well,
0: well, not. I mean, you barely get that, though. Well,
1: maybe, that's what I'm you saying. Think, well, you, well, you're well, you're well, almost seeing
0: it. Well, Shawn Michaels grabs the title, you know, begrudgedly. He's upset. He's angry. He's pretending to be, at least. I'm sure they wanted Brett to think that Shawn had nothing to do with it, even though he clearly does. Um,. And Gerald Briscoe and well Triple H and I think China show yeah, up all of a sudden not right. Rick Rude not Rude and we'll, we'll get to Rick Rude in a second. Uh, China and Triple H show up all of a sudden and they kind of escort along with Gerald Briscoe escort Shawn Michaels out of the uh, you know out of the entryway um, and Shawn Michaels gets to about maybe five or ten feet away from. Being completely out of sight of the audience, going backstage, and that's when he goes like, "Oh, that's right, sexy boy," and kind of turns it up real quick. Like, "Yeah, I win!" and like spins around, you know, uh, arm up in the air, fist pump, you know, whatever, and then d- disappears.
1: Because Gerald Briscoe, and it's there's another very telling moment caught on camera. Yeah, you can never unsee it. Gerald Briscoe is like, "No, yeah. no, sir." He is quickly. He is spinning. Michael's back around and going, Go to the back, go to the back, right? And, and which I mean, again, now if, if the screw job is in fact a screw job, it's a hundred percent shoot. That's Briscoe uh, showing his entire hand, right. Throw, I mean, that that's Briscoe laying it all out there. We screwed Brett, yeah, we. The Vincent and his cronies. We screwed Brett. Now get out of here! Right, this might get
0: bad. Well, but before something we forget to mention uh, that's 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 very noteworthy. Obviously, uh, when Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels are yelling at Vince and his cronies, uh, Bret Hart launches a super fucking loogie right into the eye of Vince McMahon. Um, which is great. <laughs> it oh, spits in the face of Vince McMahon. It's which if anyone did that now, they would they would basically get into their car and try to leave, and it would explode uh, because McMahon would have them killed.
1: <laughs> right? No, that's exactly what would happen. And, and uh, but uh, on this night, I think Vince's and uh, the stories we're about to tell uh, tell the story of an amazingly well orchestrated work or Vince I I'm not going to use the word being humble cuz I, I there's not a humble bone in Vince McMahon's body but Vince knowing that he done wrong right because uh the Vince McMahon that we that we have come to know and I, I don't even mean the Mr. McMahon character but Vince McMahon as the the one that we've learned about was always that way um the Vince McMahon who was always you know, uh, reportedly a a, a hanging and banging in the gym, steroid abusing, cocaine sniffing, womanizing, hard drinking, hard partying kind of guy who would fight you in a second. He could have jumped in the ring and taken a shot at Bret Hart. Could have maybe knocked him out. Certainly could have defended himself. Nope. He takes a loogie to the face and just slowly tries to pat himself dry. He knows he's earned it. Mm-hmm. He deserves it.
0: And uh yeah, so Wow. So so the network version of this is Shawn Michaels leaves, camera pans up, you see the Survivor Series logo above the entryway, and then lights out. Good night folks, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Uh the original Coliseum video version. Uh, may have uh, may have ended that way as well, but I do recall it going back. Oh yeah, you get the bonus and, 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 and Yeah, yeah, because Coliseum Video always had the bonus extras, um, which usually it told you how to do the special moves in WWF, <laughs> the arcade game. It's like, hey, I'm Bam Bam Bigelow here to tell you how to do the Pogo Pile Driver. <laughs> what you want to do is hit up, up, down, left, right, wrestling is fake, Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. especially when it's the Undertaker telling you how to do like the Tombstone uh, pile driver or something like that anyway alright man you're going <laughs> triangle triangle R2 up, up left right I'm a I'm an actor um <laughs> so anyway it shows that you know Bret Hart lingers in the ring for a while you know he, he gets really upset I think he starts grabbing the monitors out of the uh, announce table uh, and just starts like Slamming him on the ground right, He there's he, he, he a tantrum basically he oh really yeah,
1: This is not the, the This is not the site we will become familiar with Which is alright remove the monitors So that no one breaks their neck When they go through the announce table Right? No this is I'm taking these out Because I am about to destroy them Yeah I'm and furious he does. I'm,
0: I'm going to break Vince's toys Right? Because fuck that guy and at this point, Canada don't have enough money to pay me my twenty-year contract. Pay for new monitors. Exactly. This yo, you can't afford this. He does. It is a tantrum. It, it is. is a it tantrum. is totally a tantrum. And um, maybe ten to twenty percent of the audience is like, "Oh man, did did that just was that not supposed to happen?" Everyone else is just like, "Oh, Brett lost." Boo! People, the cheap seats are like we don't even know what's going on because we didn't really see the finish of the match you know, right. what, what's and what's happening. Can you imagine being in the
1: building that night? I I want to be yeah, there. There's my time machine. There's my time machine answer. Right. If I get a time machine, where am I going?
0: You're gonna go to Survivor Series. I'm not gonna, nine, gonna change seven. the events. No, 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 no. I'm not How gonna... would you have a sign that says "Look out, Brett <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I just jump the railing and I break up the sharpshooter. I, I, I'm or gonna. I just like like put some uh, Visine and Earl Hebner's coffee, <laughs> so he can't go. They, they they just have to send somebody else out. They forget to brief him on the on the screw All job. About what's going I, on? Yeah. And, no, and, I. I I just want to be there and feel what... I want to feel the energy. I want to hear the comments. Okay. I want to stand outside and and, and put a microphone in the face of, like, every tenth person. What just happened? What do you think just well, happened? Well,
0: I, I, I changed my answer from earlier in the episode when we talk about this and you say it, it's, it's like, where were you when JFK was shot? And I say no because I think the barbershop window incident is that because everyone who was ever a wrestling fan, who's like our age, remembers that, you know, but I'm going to go ahead and say that this is more like the JFK only because it involves someone named HBK. Um, (laughs) But, but also it's funny because you say you want to time travel and, and fix things or guess even just be there to say you were there. Um, which is funny to me because hopefully Stephen King writes a novel about you doing that. <laughs> like he wrote a novel about someone time traveling and, and, and trying to stop the Kennedy assassination. Anyway, I just want to say that real quick. But, and also point out the fact that JFK, HBK, it, it's funny to me. Um, so, okay, Two so, valid points. So that's it. And and what we know from Wrestling With Shadows is that Bret Hart goes backstage, confronts Vince McMahon, and actually punches Vince McMahon in the face... Uh, Vince McMahon walks by the documentary uh, cameras that are still rolling and you see that Vince McMahon's got a shiner, you know, and, and they, they asked Bret Hart what happened. He said, I I punched him. I fucking, I fucking punched him in the face. And I think Vince McMahon even mentions like someone over here is McMahon say something along the lines of let him punch me at least once. Uh, and I think that like uh, Shane
1: McMahon because he, he knows that's what's coming to him, and yeah. a very young Shane Shane McMahon who is not—I mean, Vince McMahon isn't the Mister McMahon character yet. Shane McMahon at this point has just appeared a few times as a referee. Well, he's only and ten years old. At this point. <laughs> he's a little
0: boy. I, I, I now think... he's older than Vince. <laughs> he looks older than Vince. He somehow looks older than Vince.
1: Um, he. on this night i'm pretty sure as any red-blooded young man would want to defend his father I, i know that shane wanted to to basically defend his dad but then there were forces backstage like the undertaker who fully supported bret hart and said nah nah son you need to take your lumps
0: vince that's screwed up what you did not cool. Was it was it Mick Foley who said that he was sitting next to The Undertaker when they were watching the match on a monitor backstage? And when it happened, Taker got up and said, like, that 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 ain't right. And like got really upset for Bret Hart. Yeah. That's awesome. And Mick Foley quit. Mick Foley himself for one day. Quit for a night. Um, Rick Rude fucking quit WWF. Straight he, up. He walked out of WWF. Which eventually led to Rick Rude. Showing up on a pre-taped episode of Raw that aired on the same night that a live Nitro also had Rick Rude on. So Rick Rude was the first and only person to appear on Nitro and Raw on the same night. Um, which is really fucking cool he did that. Also very cool that Rick Rude said, Nope, fuck you Vince, and said that's not cool and left WWF, you know. And he was rewarded with, obviously, probably more money at WCW anyway. For sure. I'm sure they were like, rude! Welcome back, buddy! Former WCW Heavyweight Champion. So that's very cool. That That's like the wrestler fallout, you know, that doesn't involve Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. So let, let, let's go back to that. Who knows at this time, during this match, as match is going on, Shawn Michaels comes out and he already knows. He already knows what's going to happen. Earl Hebner obviously already knows what's going to happen. We Bret know Hart that, has no idea. What, uh, uh, yeah, if
1: this is a shoot, Bret Hart has no idea. Does Jim uh, know? Uh, uh, right. If this, if is this, this is a, if This is a shoot. Who knows? Exactly. We know that Michaels has to know. We know that Hebner has to know. Like you said, obviously we know that Vince knows, and judging by body language, at least Briscoe definitely knows. I mean, if he knows and Patterson knows, Slaughter probably didn't know. We, well, we don't know. Okay. Then nothing indicates that he did. Uh, Hunter probably knows, uh, but he doesn't necessarily give it away. Um, he could be just sort of going along, going through the motions. China very likely didn't know. Uh-huh. I mean, I know she was dating Triple H in real life. So if, if he knew... She probably knew. So maybe they didn't know, or they didn't know the extent of it. Uh, but you're, very good question. Did, did uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler know? Right.
0: I don't think they did. What are they getting fed in their headsets? They're probably getting fed information from someone else who knows. Kevin Dunn? Right. As the director, Kevin Dunn's probably in their ear because Vince isn't. He's standing exactly. out Exactly. Vince can't give them lines because he's out there the entire time. He's physical presence during the match. Um, so the, that's a question is who all knows at this point, because again, you watch it, that's sad and it's like, oh, Brett doesn't know what's about to happen. He's just coming out to do, do his job. But right. Not, but not do the job. No, right.
1: No. <laughs> so, so yeah, obviously you hear the stories of, uh, uh, of Undertaker and McFoley reacting. Well, there's a whole locker room back there. What was Austin's reaction?
0: What did Owen what Hart think? What was
1: Owen's reaction?
0: What did because 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 fucking Owen Hart stayed with WWF? How could Bret Hart? I still can't believe that. Not happened. be like Owen, oh, you're leaving, right? Owen's like, Mm-mm, they're gonna put me in the Nation of Domination eventually, and it's gonna be a really good fit for me. <laughs> um, and and and, 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 a whole and, and had around. Owen Hart left, Owen Hart wouldn't have died tragically in the ring, and I'm not. Blaming Vince as far as that goes. And I'm not blaming Vince at all, actually. That was a totally freak thing that happened to Owen
1: Hart. No, but it is one of those... uh, I mean, obviously, if he's not with the company, he's not there that night. He's not doing that. It doesn't happen. Exactly. Um,
0: uh, All, you know... And Bulldog and Anvil. All of them stay with WWF. Like, man... Had to be like, look, you fuckers, if you guys leave me too, like, you know, you're under contract forever. I'll, I'll kill you. But of course, Bulldog and Anvil will leave eventually. pretty soon after. Eventually, sure. Of course, Bulldog will come back. Yeah, come back. And that'll be back. weird. And that'll be weird. Um, Yeah, because he's, he's just kind of a Bulldog, not the British so much. Yeah,
1: when Bulldog came back... I'll just wear jeans, bloke. That was, that was strange, like, when Bossman went back. Yeah, um, which was anyway. cool
0: when he revealed himself, and I was like, "Hey, it's Boss Man!" Oh, it's oh yeah, he can't wrestle very well. Uh. <laughs> well, the problem was he had tainted himself by that time so
1: much in WCW. Uh, the Boss Man, the, even the returned Boss Man in the Riot Gear, mm-hmm. was ten times better than Ray Trailer or Big Bubba had been for five years or in WCW. Oh God, or-
0: okay. Well, n- enough about that. Enough yeah. about that. Um, but here's the thing, too, is um, a lot of people uh, take credit for the, the uh, Montreal Screwjob. They, they, they say it was their idea. If you read Shawn Michaels' book, he even says, like, yeah, it was me, it was my idea. If you ask Triple H, yeah, it was me, it was my idea. Vince McMahon, yeah, it was me, it was my idea. Vince Russo, who was a creative guy... Read his book. Yeah, it was me. It was my idea. So basically, everyone taking everyone saying it was my idea means that you know, who do you believe and whose idea was it really? And I mean, it had to be Vince McMahon's idea. Well, we're, again, we're talking about an event that,
1: as of today, as of this recording, is exactly twenty years ago. Well, the first ten years, easily, no one took credit for it. Yeah, no one would. T- it was. It was white hot heat mm-hmm. that you did not want. It was no, no, I would never have. And now it's the distance has gotten so far and the story has become so legendary that it's not going to uh, It's not going hurt you. In fact, it's probably going to build on your legacy or add to your credibility to be able to claim partial ownership of this watershed
0: moment. Right. Which, you know, for, for, for those of you who don't quite get what we're like, why this is so important is a wrestler was promised a finish, you know, a wrestler who had been with this company for forever, you know, since back in the old days, uh, who had been the champion, who'd been the face of the company for the the past couple of years was promised because he was nice enough to break a legally binding document that he could have just kept and said, Nope, Guaranteed money for the next a uh, nineteen and a half years, Vince. Sorry, you shouldn't have signed it if you couldn't you couldn't do it. Because I think Vince like couldn't afford to do it. Uh, which is why well, he- that's
1: where we were yeah, that's that's exactly where we were at even at this early stage of the Monday Night Wars, is WCW was already hurting the WWF's bottom line. Yeah. And Vince was looking for any way to jettison some of the uh extra financial obligations. I mean, could have got rid of year. all of
0: Los Briques. Well, That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so he had to break, so Vince had to break Brett's contract because he couldn't afford to do it. Um, so Brett said, fine, we'll do the match, Survivor Series, I have to win, I'll drop the belt the next day. And as far as like a, a finish is agreed upon with all the performers and the boss, that's what's going to happen, like that has to happen. that's what's
1: agreed on. that is the backbone of this industry. Trust you have to trust people to take care of you physically right, and you have to trust the uh the nature of the predetermined outcome absolutely this, the the business is a work, but it doesn't work. Unless everyone's on the same page. Right. Because the minute that someone goes off script. And goes into business for themselves. Then uh, you have a really bad, bad situation that, you know, at best can come up with a screwy finish that that reeks of
0: a mistake Mm -hmm. to the audience. And at worst could bring the whole the industry crashing down. Absolutely. So, in this case, the match is not in the way that it was agreed uh, on. And the only one who doesn't know that is Bret Hart, the champion who this means, this match means the most to. And he loses the match. He loses his belt. He loses in his native Canada. He loses everything. And this this is, his le- like you said earlier, this is the end of his legacy. This is how he's remembered going out. To Bret Hart, this is the worst case scenario. Absolutely. And this is the boss screwing over an employee. This is Vince screwing over one of the boys. And you don't screw over one of the boys. No. Now, what
1: is going to happen next? Vince McMahon himself will benefit in every way. Vince McMahon is now... Publicly, the owner of the company. He becomes the new face of the company. All of a sudden, who the champion is does not matter. It takes a back seat for the first time in WWF history. The champion takes a back seat to the owner. Mm -hmm. The owner becomes the face of the WWF. Vince McMahon becomes the face of the WWF. Shawn Michaels immediately, as the champion, the reigning champion, second fiddle. Steve Austin will rise to prominence during this period, but he will do it as second fiddle to Vince McMahon. Now, in terms of popularity and drawing power, uh, Austin will, of course, get all the credit, and he will become the champion by beating Michaels uh, just a few months later at WrestleMania 14 uh, in the spring of ninety eight. But Austin won't do any of that, if not for the feud he's having with Vince McMahon. Right. Because Vince m- McMahon is the mechanism, he is the axis. He is the fulcrum upon which all WWF activity is going to occur in those two to three quintessential
0: attitude-era years. Yeah, he becomes the the, the villainous boss character. That we all know and love, or know and hate, whatever. Well, we know we know him though. After twenty years, we know and hate it. Yeah, we're kind of over it. Um, so so the Vince McMahon on screen, you know, the the actual Vince McMahon, you know, comes out and you realize that he is the the owner of the company. He's the puppet master. Um, but he 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 does inter, like an interview where he says like you know, Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart, and that that, that famous interview. Um, and Basically keeps talking about Bret Hart, even though he's not in the company anymore. Which, now I think back on it, Bret Hart obviously owned the rights to his own name, and his own character. I'm surprised they could even say Bret Hart. They probably had to, like, sign some checks over just using his name. Um, That makes sense, right? Legally. Sure. Um, Especially when it was like, you can't do that because that's WWF, you can't say that, you know, whatever. Um, Monday Night Wars are still raging at this point. Um, this is the turning point, though. Like I said, Austin's rise to prominence. Uh, DX is getting bigger. Eventually, The Rock comes into play. So they're still mentioning Bret Hart on television. Um, I think that they, they bring out a a, a they, they play Bret Hart's music. DX is in the ring. They play Bret Hart's music, and it's like, oh, Bret Hart. The next night after Survivor Series, and they bring out like a little person dressed up as uh, Bret Hart. So they're still talking about Bret Hart. Still making fun of Bret Hart. Cash or wrestling fans are probably like, well, Bret Hart's still there. He'll, he'll show up eventually. And then eventually they just kind of forget about him because they stop talking about him. But McMahon is doing this, he's playing this very smart because he's talking about it. If it was never talked about again, that, that's an admission of guilt. But if he keeps talking about it in such a way that he's doing it, it makes it seem like, no, it's part of the story. It's, it was supposed to happen. Like, everything that happens on television is supposed to happen. So it makes it seem like it's it's fake. Because wrestling is fake. But really, something real just happened in front of you. But he was like, oh no, part of the story.
1: Hmm. Oh, right. And I, 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 Which is Vin- genius. Yeah, well it's Vince taking a cue from his competition, Eric Bischoff, who's running things down south for WCW... And Bischoff's famous quote, Controversy creates cash. Name of his book, which is also good. And Vince McMahon clearly was uh, taking the controversy of the screw job to the bank, made himself a character. He was no longer Vince McMahon, friendly announcer, Aretha Franklin introducer. He was Mr. McMahon, the ruthless boss who would screw over Brett because he didn't want to do business right, who hates the blue-collar worker Steve Austin, who wants to put WCW out of business. You know, this This was the Mr. McMahon character. You got no chance. That's what you've got. Mm-hmm. That's his entrance music. 20 years later, he's still coming out to entrance music that says, you've got no chance in hell. <laughs> Basically, my, by my very appearance, by the fact that Mr. McMahon has arrived, whoever you are and whatever you're trying to do, you have no chance in hell yeah. because I am going to naturally oppose it. Absolutely. Because I'm Mr. McMahon. And boy does Vince put a spin on this. Vince McMahon spins this whole thing. He does that sit-down interview with Jim Ross and he says Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart Brett screwed Brett this is all
0: Brett's fault
1: yeah and you can see his black eye yeah they've tried to put some
0: foundation over it because oh, now Vince concealer. is the, now Vince is the victim right he's playing the victim card but even though even he... though no he he's he's the Weinstein he's the attacker <laughs> that's three weeks in a row with the three Harvey weeks in the Harvey
1: Weinstein folks hey he he earned it But Vince earns that shiner, and as a result of him playing the victim, you know, the person who plays the victim is typically not the victim, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the more they play it up. And he's going to turn that playing the victim into the fact that even though he's powerful and he is dominant, he's a chicken shit heel. Mm -hmm. He becomes the quintessential chicken shit heel, which is the whiny crybaby who often gets the upper hand, Mm -hmm. but is particularly whiny when they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vince is going to turn that character into a a license to print money. Vince McMahon is going to put over Austin and Rock and Mankind
0: and DX, and he's going to do it all through himself. He's the million-dollar man, only he's the million-dollar man who also owns the company. So he's the boss, like he he's 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 everyone's boss, and everyone hates their boss. Yes, you, you hate your boss, dear listeners. <laughs> um, so that's 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 Vince McMahon. That's that side of the coin. Meanwhile, Bret Hart on the other side, literally on the other side, he's down south in WCW. He shows up on Nitro, and he's Bret Hart, and Bret Hart feels like he has to publicly address what happened in WWF. Obviously, he can't say. WWF, he can't say Vince McMahon. He just kind of says like they. Like they screwed me over and all this stuff and but the thing is he he, he constantly says that. He constantly talks about you know, how he's he got screwed out of this, screwed out of that. He shows up at Sarcade 97 only a month after yeah. the screw job and in the know, middle of the biggest wrestling match of the decade, which is Hollywood Hogan versus Sting, which is a match built up the entire year, you know, rested on this match, which was arguably uh, a letdown. We'll say we'll say a letdown. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Um, you know, Bret Hart runs out and says, "Like I know what it's like to be screwed over. I'm not going to let it happen to someone else because there was a fast count, which there totally wasn't a fast count.
1: Not a fast count.
0: Not not a fast enough fast count. Um, so okay, well, you're acknowledging that on on WWE television. The only thing is, if you keep acknowledging it. It's gonna make it seem more and more like it was supposed to happen and you knew it. And so that that kind of fuels a fire to the fire the fans who think like, oh no, it was a work. Like they totally knew. He he's kind of perpetuating the story here in WCW. It's still it it's still being mentioned, it's still being talked about, he's still talking about it. Because what if he showed up in WCW and never mentioned it? I I think I think if he never mentioned it, it'd be the same exact thought of like, well, he never talked about it again. So so obviously that was the end of that. You know, but the fact that he keeps talking about it, WWF is still talking about it, makes it all make, makes Vince look like he was right, and it was all part of the story. And also the fact that no one claims to be the one, or no, the fact that everyone, yet no one claims to be the one to come up with the whole idea to begin with, just makes it seem like more smoke and mirrors, and who really knows for sure. Well, and you know,
1: another... More ash- conspiracy,
0: so again, JFK. Yeah, right. And another
1: way to look at it is who loses in this in, in this scenario? Say that it let's 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 say that it is a uh, let's say that it's a work. Let's just say for a second that it's a work. Okay. Who loses? Who loses out as a result of the screw job? Bret Hart. He doesn't. Only Brett Brett does not lose out. He gets nothing. Yes, he does. He gets more money than he's ever gotten. True. To do less work than
0: he's ever had to do. Still, well that's have, just because Stubby Tubby 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 didn't know how to use him, but still, still I, he complained
1: about that in terms of his legacy, but I'm sure he didn't complain about it uh, when he got to take He cashed
0: every check. He cashed yeah, yeah. every
1: check and went on every Hawaiian vacation. Right. And he should have. Yeah, I'm not condemning good. him for that. But he did it. Bret Hart didn't lose. No one screwed Brett. Even if it's a shoot, no one screwed Brett. Vince McMahon simply it's like <laughs> think about it this way. It's like if you have a very strong belief uh in a uh in a good uh like a a, a wonderful afterlife, okay then you've heard the term that someone will send you on to your great reward, right? Meaning that they've killed you, okay? Yeah. So it's a very lovely euphemism for being killed. Uh, and the idea is, all right, they did something not so nice to you. They killed you. But what they really did was they released you into the beauty and wonder of a peaceful eternity. Right. All right. Uh Vince screwed Brett, meaning he did something underhanded, assuming it's a shoot. He did something underhanded and against the business, broke his trust, but he also sent Brett on to his great reward. Ted Turner was going to write him a much bigger check for a much longer period of time than Vince was ever going to,
0: and certainly more than Vince was going to at that point. Well, Vince McMahon did kill Bret Hart because it was total character assassination, Bret Hart was, you know, whether whether it was WCW's mistreatment of Bret Hart, knowing not what to do with him, which obviously what you do with him is make him have good matches because he's (laughs) he's very good at that. Um, He was never the same after that. Seeing him show up, him, him being on WCW TV where the lighting is a bit darker so everyone looks a little bit different on Nitro or on Thunder or what have you was just very odd and very weird to me. I never got over it. it it, it never felt okay to me no as a a matter of fact right now
1: on the WWE Network during NXT programming they are advertising the war games for the next takeover which is next week actually yeah we'll be talking about that next week alright we get a head to head
0: head to head
1: and while they're showing this really long amazing montage where they have interviews with people like Dustin Rhodes and uh Road Warrior Animal. We're getting. Bushwhacker sh- Luke. <laughs> We're getting. <laughs> Second mention of Bushwhacker Luke on the episode. <laughs> we get to see, you know, Barry Wyndham and Dusty Rhodes and Brian Pillman and Sid Vicious and, and then even Roddy Piper fighting in War Games matches. And then you see Bret Hart. And that's the thing. He never even changed his gear. And I'm not saying he should have, but it was like the weirdest misplacement. It's like somebody just went. Hmm, I'm gonna take my Bret Hart action figure, and now I'm gonna he's gonna play exclusively with my WCW action figures.
0: No, it's it's the Green Lantern shows up in the Marvel Universe. They're right. It's like what the fuck are you doing here?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of how he may have been the uh, ultimate example of a, of an outsider. Uh, but not in a cool way like the Outsiders. Uh, And he never... Square peg in a round hole, that whole thing. Uh, I I liked him there because it was a fascinating, oddball fit. I liked seeing Brett in in WCW. Uh, Nevertheless, from a way to end your career uh, financially, Brett benefited greatly. Now... That's why, and uh, briefly, let's talk about this, uh, the concept of of Montreal Screwjob as a work. All right, if it's a work, then it is one of the best kept secrets in the history of wrestling.
0: Right. It it is uh, Iron Sheik levels of kayfabe, uh, where Iron Sheik will still tell you to this day that Hulk Hogan's a piece of shit, very vocally on his uh, Twitter if you don't follow iron Sheik on twitter you should for at least 2 weeks cuz he starts to beat himself eventually um anyway <laughs> but it's uh if it's a work then it did exactly what it needed to do and that it it the illusion of wrestling is kind of broken and you don't know if you know what's going on anymore and that is why i say it is a win
1: win win situation because if if the, the situation that led up to it was a shoot which is WCW is beating our pants off we need to get rid of some of this 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 uh, obligated money this guaranteed money mm-hmm. um, but we do love and respect Bret Hart and uh, we we're not gonna foresee the fact that Sean is going to us retire for uh, several years in just a few months. We're thinking that he's about to be our next, you know. Bret Hart?
0: Yeah. To face the company
1: for the next uh, couple of years? Right. We, You know, they can't see that. So uh, these shoot situations, if they turned into a work, then uh, all of a sudden it makes sense when you see who benefited. When you see that they all benefited from this. Shawn Michaels could have never been more heel than he was after this night. Vince McMahon has the birth of one of the greatest heel characters in the history of wrestling. And Bret goes off to his great reward, which is a huge, huge financial gain. And, you know what? At least temporarily, some greener pastures. Bret did have some good matches. He's had some incredible matches. He can't help but have a good match. Right, and then in th- that way, he won too. It wasn't just the huge paycheck, it wasn't just uh, giving him sort of an escape hatch from the Attitude Era, of which he did not want to participate in the first place. Right. But then you put him in those uh, WCW situations, and you get a you get to see him
0: fight Benoit, Sting. I mean, amazing. Right. Now the guy who originally did the Sharpshooter, Sting. By the way. R- very quickly go back to if it's a shoot. You you know how Bret Hart can win, right? You know how we can win, Darren. If 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 this was a shoot and this was not supposed to happen and Bret Hart was unaware and this happened to Bret and it's a horrible tragedy, which I, I think it was a horrible tragedy and it was a shoot. Bret Hart could totally flip it on itself and come out now and say, oh yeah, it totally worked. We and Vince talked about it the night before. And he can start taking credit for the Montreal screw job just to fuck with Vince and everyone who actually figured actually actually did it to him. And it's like, what the fuck is this? And he can and Vince can deny it. And it's like, okay, sure Vince. Yeah, yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah, we get it, Vince. Yeah, yeah. It was your idea. Bret Hart came out and said, why would he say it? He came out and said it was a work, so like I would love that. and Bret Hart came out and said like, "Oh no, it was all totally it was all totally bullshit. I was protecting the business like that it was kind of like if he all of a sudden became the guy that was the mastermind behind it all, like how how fucking funny would that be, and also like he would take all the power away from Vince McMahon and WWE yes, by were. saying, "Oh no my idea, totally my idea," and just <laughs> no, no, we did it. We screwed, Bret. it was us. we have control.
1: I would love that. Well, I'm not going to say, I'm definitely not going to say definitively that it was a work. uh, Because I I still believe that uh, there are some of the participants who were in on it. But there were so many different levels of, uh, I guess, like clearance. Like top secret and uh, confidential and all that sort of thing. Who, Who was told what by Vince? Right. You know, they may have not even, any of them, known the same thing. And that, that way you can protect them from each other. You can, And then you can also potentially set them up to incriminate one another. And then you can see how that cookie crumbles if you're Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. In the end, I think it's almost too successful. It benefits too many people for it to be... Uh, a full-blown shoot. But at the same time, this is also a business where we see people literally and figuratively roll with the punches. And so you might have Vince and Sean and Brett and WCW making chicken salad out of chicken shit. You know, it's the the idea of working with what you got. And in that respect, it's, it's still a, quite an amazing victory. So, work or shoot,
0: everyone really kind of won here. Did the fans win? Yes! Did they? Because they, they had listened to us talk about this for an hour and a half. Did our
1: fans win? Our fans especially won, because you will not hear this type of dissection and deconstruction anywhere, except the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole reference Show.
0: All right. Hello! No, I do agree, Darren. We are the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. And I think we effectively looked at it from every angle. And uh, we definitely gave this its due. I'm glad we actually had the discussion about the Montreal job, And it wasn't like a force. It wasn't like, a, we, need, we need some filler this week. Let's talk about Montreal for a little while. 20th anniversary of it happening. It's still talked about to this day. Obviously, it was talked about at great length uh, by the two of us. And uh, it's all over the place. WWE is even putting out stuff on social media saying, oh, the Montreal incident. But they call it the incident. Uh, but no, it was a screw job. If it happened the way we think it happened, it was totally the boss fucking over one of the boys. Totally unacceptable. There was fallout. There was backlash. There were consequences. Um, and anyone who worked for Vince McMahon at the time should have thought, well, if it can happen to Bret Hart, who's been loyal to the company for a thousand years, it can happen to me yesterday, you know? But there's also that, but obviously, except for Rick Rude, everyone else stuck around. Um, so, it, it kind of irked them, but it's like, ah, oh, but it's Vince, what do you do? And that, that just goes to show you that Vince McMahon rules the wrestling world with an iron fist. Uh, he's a horrible person, uh, so of course he's in charge of it all. Uh, and that, that's that. Or, or he's a genius. No, I think he's, he's an evil genius. I would definitely say that. And uh, if this was all a work, if it was all meant to be and supposed to happen this way very specifically and make you question uh, the reality of wrestling as you know it, then perfectly well done, perfectly executed. Was it real? Was it fake? Let us know. How can you let us know? There's a lot of ways to do that. Find us on Twitter at RefnShowPodcast. Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. Uh, send us an email if you want to. The whole Show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L E. R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com or... or find us on the Instagram. We are the
1: whole Refn show. Find us there, leave comments, likes on our pretty pictures and our not so pretty pictures we really appreciate <laughs> all the interaction on Instagram we have an excellent following on there and we appreciate every one of you
0: yes yes we do we appreciate all of you listeners for listening into what many call especially us call the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle one more time my name is Perry Smith my name is Darren Beasley and until next week we bid you a very fond adieu Folks. Bye
1: bye,
0: folks. Sympathy.
1: I have no sympathy for Brett whatsoever. None. I have no sympathy for someone who was supposed to be a wrestling traditionalist not doing the right thing
0: for the business that made him, not doing the right thing for the fans and the performers and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Brett made a very, very selfish decision. Brett's going to
1: have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever. For Brett.